I look up into the sky and say, thank you. <laughs> so it's like, it's like the universe talking to me. So anyway, this is what And we're live. Yeah, we're back up, finally. Now that was interesting, the way it happened, yeah, right? Very interesting. Okay, so let's test it. Yeah, I'm just making sure uh, it's going the way we want it because for people who are listening, this is a, the first podcast that we've ever done and we want to make sure the technicality is taken care of. Um, there's probably going to be a small delay between what we're saying and what's going live, about 25 seconds maximum. Um, but it should be okay. So, hi everybody, this is uh, Hassan Alatour, this is the first podcast we're doing on uh, December 9th, 2016. The title of the podcast is Financial Independence. How are you, how are you doing guys? Fantastic. Everybody good? Awesome. Great to be here, Hassan. All right. So uh, let's carry on with the conversation. We were talking about financial independence, financial mastery. Um, okay, I, I can see the comments coming in. Let's just put, the, put up the ground rules. If anybody who's watching this live has any questions, uh, feel free to ask questions on the chat box on the right. Uh, my phone is on airplane mode. Do not bother calling. I'm not going to be able to answer, but I am available here and on the Facebook uh, inbox, so we can do it there as well. get started with financial independence or let's just pretty much talk about the concept of money because a lot of people have their own programming of what money is and um, to, to give people an explanation of what both sides are let's start with that before we do let me introduce who I am and what I do my name is Hassan Alatour I have a lot of interests. One of them is a nonprofit called Mastery. And we do a lot of gatherings. We've been doing it for about a year and a half. We started in February last year in Dubai. It's a gathering of like-minded on certain topics such as money, relationships, entrepreneurship, aliens, magic. I mean, you name it. We talk about everything possible that is interesting. Um, and um, 
every single time we bring in people to, you know, talk about different things. And uh, it's an intellectual conversation, just like the one we did, was it a week ago? Mm. Was yes, it on Friday? Yes, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Was that uh, Friday, Friday evening? Thursday? Friday? Yeah. Friday evening. So um, exactly a week ago. Exactly. On December 2nd, the most crowded day of the year after New Year's in Dubai. For those of you who don't live in Dubai, December 2nd is a national day. One of the best days pretty much to, to go out. Just uh, make sure you... Yeah, what is it? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, take a paper. Just to make sure. Yeah, no, no, please, please. So this is going to be a very, very casual, you know, conversation. We can keep it going. People online, you guys can just interact via social media or uh, via the YouTube channel. Everybody here got their... Um... So pretty much today's topic is going to be about money. This is not a book club, though we do have a, a book club. Again, it's not for profit. The book that we're using as a reference for the first episode of this podcast is Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. If you haven't read this book, I suggest you read it. I suggest you buy it. Um, read it again. Because the first time I read the book, I completely misunderstood the concept. You know, got to chapter two, I think, dropped the book, started a business. And that's literally what happened. This was in 2010 when I first read the book. By the time I graduated, I said, I'm never working for anybody again. And, you know, that was it. But when I ran into Robert Kiyosaki in, what was it, three, four weeks ago? We, we went to the convention in Dubai? Yeah. Achievers Conference. Yeah, National the National Achievers Conference, which was which was interesting because it was not supposed to be at that conference. I had so many things happening, and they called me several times. Do you want to attend the, the seminar? Do you want to do this? Do you want? And I said, I'm not going to be able to make enough of this one. But then a, uh, a a very good friend of mine, who's a Tony Robbins coach, had one of his people that was sending an email for the people you know in a circle saying, if anybody is free on that day, we have tickets for the event. And I said, okay, this is more than just a coincidence. And we ended up getting VIP tickets or gold tickets. And I said, okay, we have to go for that one. So I decided to go and check it out. The reason I wanted to go is not because I got free tickets, but merely because of the nonstop emails and messages and invitations. I felt I had to go. And within a few minutes of Robert talking on stage, he mentioned one thing that question, that made me question my understanding of the book. Went back, read it again. I just read the book, I finished reading the book today. I read it before, but I wanted to read it again to make sure, uh, because every time you read a book, every time you watch a certain, or you experience something, you learn, you see it in a different way, right? Um, I had a lady that attended my uh, human code, body language, reading, human behavior uh, boot camp. She's attended about four times. And I asked her, why do you keep doing that? And she said, every time I attend it, I learn something completely different. And I said, that's an interesting concept. So I'm going to get into more, um, more about Robert uh, and his material, but this is the first book that we're, going to, that we're going to use as a reference. There are going to be a lot of books that we're going to, that we're going to recommend for us to read. This is, I, I could see this being a four to five episode minimum. Awesome. Uh, yeah. back to that question, which made you go back to the book. What was that? He said, he was on stage, you know, breaking the ice and um, talking about what people do. Mm. And this is one of the, um, and he's just coming in here right now. This is one of the um, points, I think it's point number four that I'm going to bring up. 
Okay. Sorry, point number three, which is the types of people we have mm. on this planet. Mm. When we talk about entrepreneurship or you know, work in general, what kind of people do we have? We've got investors, we have entrepreneurs, we have employees, mm. we have you know, this and that. And he mentioned, if I were to say one word, it would be shift. A mindset shift, of course, but he talked about the shift from quadrants one and two to three and four, which we'll get into in a bit. And a lot of people are completely clueless to what money is, which is what we're going to talk about right now. But a lot of people think they understand money, and a clue would, I mean, one of the, one of the, um, one of the hints I'll give the audience is, if I make more money, it'll, be, it'll get better. Or if I save more money, it'll get better. But um, when you ask people who are very, very... No, no, we're good, we're good. When you ask people who are very wealthy, or the rich mindset, which is a technical term, you'll know very quickly there's more to it than that. So, yeah, we're just having a bit of... Uh, uh, Non-technical housekeeping uh, shifts happening to youth shifts, right? Um, but to answer your question, that was it, which is what happened. He talked about people not, not understanding that one concept that changes everything. There's, if, if there's one thing that anybody could take away from this conversation we're having here, it is that one shift that we could make today that would take you from where you are to where you want to go. Financially, of course. Uh, you know, in Mastery, we do a lot of gatherings. I know that we have one, two, and three who are members of Mastery one day. We'll bring you into the dark side. And, and, and it's a pretty interesting gathering that we do. Um, yes, Lord Vader. Yeah, a lot. So this is pretty much what happened. What did you take from the, from the, uh, from the event? I know you were there. I know you were taking notes. Well, what did you take? Things. A lot of things. Yeah. Um, the concept of money, that it's, um, it's an energy, mm -hmm. it's a feeling. I'm with you guys. I'm just going to do this while, while we go at it. Go ahead. That's one of the most important things for me. Uh, because that's one of the things which make uh, money such a... Thank you. Such an interesting concept for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, when we talk about programming, I have... You know, we're not, we're not talking about computer uh, engineering and robotics, we're talking about neural programming, how the child or how the human being, because you're programmed till the day we die, maybe even afterwards, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But um, we're constantly being taught certain things. You know, parents teach their kids, um, teachers teach their students, we teach ourselves with experience. The same way you train a horse or you train a cat, we're training ourselves. We have a brain, we've got the sensory inputs, the eyes and the ears and everything else. And uh, kids are constantly taught certain things about money. And whether you're born in a rich family or a poor family, Robert had the advantage of being born in a community of both, where he got to see both sides. And he, he developed a mix, so to speak, to understand what the rich think and what the poor thinks. But a lot of programming is taking place. If you, want, if you look at movies, if you look at TV shows, cartoons, you know, everybody remembers cartoons with the green bill, right, and the wrap around it. That, that, that was money that time. The dollar sign in the eyes, Scrooge McDuck, you know, swimming in a, in a container of, of gold coins. They're not bad programming, they're just programming. You have bad and good, but 
we need to be aware that we're being educated non, you know, nonstop all the time on topics such as you know, relationships, money, physique, food, everything is being programmed. And the moment you are aware of that, things change. You know, we're not going to change the world with, you know, with our education or with our teaching to people, but we can definitely change who we are simply by being aware that what we know is not necessarily the truth, but a perspective to what the truth is based on how we have been programmed on what that truth became to us. That's so, uh, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. That's why it's so beautiful to have different communities around, because we can kind of learn from different communities, we can adopt different ways of thinking, and we can kind of broaden our uh, horizons. Yeah. So I guess that's what happened to Robert Kiyosaki, because he had that opportunity to broaden his horizons about money. The uh, biggest, you know, I wrote down over here a few myths I want to talk about. And the biggest thing about money is people think saving money is going to help them. I don't want this podcast to be a negative one. I want. I don't want to scare people. I hate it when people do that. But we need to know where the dangers are. You know, you're you're riding a horse. You're on a horse. First thing they'll tell you is what not to do. Right? When you're driving a car, first thing they'll tell you is what not to do. When you're holding a, a weapon like an archery bow and arrow, the set, they tell you. When I wasn't sure who was with me. You guys weren't there. We were in Sharjah. I have another nonprofit. We do different, you know, have vibrations, what we talked about. We do different fun things around Dubai and the UAE. And we went to Sharjah to, for shooting, archery. And I had, I've done it before, but the, the moment the lady, uh, what was going on? Uh, yeah, the lady was going to pick up, the, the attendee was going to pick up the, the arrows. And she literally said, holster your weapons, or whatever they say for archery. Just put your weapons down and take the the arrow out of the bow, mm. get it away from you and step back mm. to make sure everything's secure. Mm. Right? And once you understand the dangers, you're no longer in danger. Once you understand that a, um, you know, that a tiger might bite you, you're not going to put your hand in a tiger's mouth. Right? But if you don't understand the dangers, that's where all the problems happen. So financially speaking, once we're aware that if you have $100 today, in a year, that $100 is not going to be $100. It's going to get smaller. Okay? So saving is out. Right? You know, he likes to mention, Robert likes to mention a lot that savers are losers. Right? So basically no money in the pillow. Yeah, no, no money on the pillow unless you're aiming for a tooth fairy. <laughs> that's, the, yeah, that's the only way. But um, this is one of the things we wanted to talk about. So what is, the, what is your perspective of what money is? And by the way, if anybody's watching it on uh, YouTube, feel free to, you know, so drop in a, a comment or two on what you think money is. If you have any questions, hit us up. Yeah, go ahead. Mohammed, you haven't read the book, right? Uh, no, no. So I what is your, have you, have you read the book, Anitra? All right, great. That, that's, a, that's a good uh, dynamic. This is not a, you know, we don't have to, it's always good to have different perspectives because if you have 10,000 people who are doing Kung Fu and nobody's done Karate, you're never going to understand the other perspective. It's always good to sit together and gather, it's called the gathering, right? So, what are the general, con even if it's negative, what are the general connotations of what money is? Energy. The negatives. Oh, the negative ones. So, money is perceived um, as a tool that's used to control people, since we're talking about negatives. Mm. And uh, 
in many societies around the world and economies also, it is. And uh, the basis of using the tool is an emotion, and that emotion is fear. So you spoke about neural programming earlier on, and there are certain fears that are embedded in us as we're growing up, which cause us to fear either not having money, which is, you know, that you just lose everything, uh, either not having money or losing it, as a result of which you have to live your life in poverty. And so that, that brings in a lot of fear. And very often we grow up in families also where our parents get up in the morning and go to a job and um, work eight or ten hours and come back and then they take their brains out and put it in the TV. And then the next morning they wake up and they take their brains out of the TV, put it back on and go to work, work eight or ten hours and come back home and then take their brains out, put it in the TV. And they do that the third day of the week and then the fourth day of the week they wake up and they go to work and when they're at work they say, oops, I forgot my brains on the TV, but you don't need your brains at work when you're on the fourth day of the week anyways. And, and people do this for 40 years of their life. It's called the rat race. The problem with the rat race is even if you win, you're still a rat. And so this goes on and on and on, and they do it for 40 years, and they program us to believe that we've got to do it for 40 years. And that's for, for those of us who don't know what a rat race is, can you elaborate on what that means, the term? Sure. So rat race is, uh, is a metaphor. Imagine a, a, little, a little mouse that's, uh, that's been put on a treadmill that just goes on and on and on and running, and there's a piece of cheese hung in front of it. And the, no matter how much it runs, because it's on a treadmill, it, it stays in the same place. So it, it expends a lot of energy, but never really gets the reward. But it continues to believe that it needs to expend energy in order to get that reward. And then it grows old and it, and it dies. So that's, that's where the rat race comes from. And from our economic perspective, it's, uh, it's what we tend to do on the left-hand side of the quadrants, whether you're an E or an S. And even the self-employed people do, do it. Uh, in fact, the self-employed people do probably more of it than the employed people do. The self-employed people pretend that they're in business. So the S actually stands for psychotic in that sense, because you, you just, uh, you know, you're, you, it's, an S is actually a glorified job more than anything else. For example, a professional, a friend of mine was a doctor and he told me very plainly, he said, listen, I make a lot of money. Uh, you know, every single month I make stacks and stacks of cash, but I have a lot of fear. So I said, what's your fear about? He said, you know, I, I was playing squash and I, I sprained my wrist. And because I sprained my wrist, I couldn't operate for three weeks because I had to wait for my wrist to heal for three weeks in order for me to hold that knife again and, and perform my specialist operations. And during those three weeks, I made no money whatsoever. So that's when I realized that my uh, my earning ability is dependent on my physical ability to produce. The moment something happens to me, something as simple as a wrist injury, I can't make any money anymore. And that's life on the left-hand side. It's all fear-based. Uh, and you know, you, we started by talking about what money is. And, and money is, like Jay said earlier, money is energy. Money is used as a system of control. And we also have certain belief systems saying that we have to spend the rest of our life continuously in pursuit of acquiring wealth. And that desire transmutes perhaps to ambition, and that ambition transmutes into greed, and that greed transmutes into desperation. And from that place of desperation, we, we just grow old one fine day, and maybe we have the money or maybe we don't. Uh, on the right-hand side of the quadrant, you have people operating out of inspiration rather than desperation. Uh, people operating out of creativity, people who set up systems and cash flow. 
where they realize that we need to have, we need to work with teams, we need to work with partnerships, and we need to have uh, smart means of creating regular cash flow for yourself from various sources. But there's very few people who think like that, and most people believe that uh, only the lucky are able to do it. Uh, whereas it's it's not the lucky, it's the awake people who are more self-realized, who, who realize that this is what we need to do. Uh, because formal education will just earn you a living, financial education will help you make a life. Exactly. exactly. The, uh, the beautiful thing that you mentioned, the word awake, the, um, the choice that pretty much the call to action. We're not trying to sell any, for, for those of you, know, for the listeners on YouTube, we're not trying to sell you know, any money, um, any any products for money? We're not trying to make money out of this podcast, but the call to action, the um, the uh, priceless call to action, I might add for you, is the choice that you're going to have to make. And Arjun nailed it with the word "waking up," because either you're going to wake up or you're going to stay asleep. You're in a car, heading 100 miles an hour, and you have a choice. You're either going to get up and get in the driver's seat and drive, and you can go anywhere when you get it. When you wake up and you start driving, it's done you learn how to drive very quickly. Or you'll stay asleep, keep dreaming that it's gonna work out, but we know it's never gonna work out unless something magical happens like the lottery or you get an inheritance from an uncle you never knew you had. But little do we know that these individuals who win a massive amount of cash within a short period of time end up losing it all. If you look at individuals who had billions and billions of dollars and they lost all their money, they've gained it back very quickly. We can give you examples. We know we all saw what happened with Donald Trump. We all saw what happened with, you know, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg. What he lost three billion in in a few hours when I think the election was. I don't remember. I think it was the election, and he's not worried. He'll get it back. But we've also seen the many many individuals who won the lottery in the United States. We're talking fifty million, a hundred million dollars, and they lose it all again. Some of them even get into more financial trouble because of not knowing how to handle it. Right. Kind of, kind of like putting somebody in a Ferrari driving at 280 kilometers per hour, we're in Dubai, and he's never been in a car before. What's going to happen? He's going to cry. So it's always good to have a bit of financial education as well as, as well as academic education. If you're planning on becoming a doctor, you need to go to school. Right? If you want to be an accountant, you need to go to school. If you want to be a... a, a um, a psychologist or a life coach, you need to go to school, a university, a place where they teach you how to do that. If you want to make money, you need to get financial education. And there's a big difference between being financially free and being employed. It's a completely different game. And um, when you go to school, the academic system, whether it's high school or university, you are learning a skill, a specialized skill. Some of them general skills. You know, In high school, if you're in I went to an American system here in Dubai and we had to learn everything as opposed to one topic as general education. It's not bad, it gives you a bit of knowledge, but at the same time, if you are able to understand wealth education or financial education, similar to getting a personal trainer, he's giving you the physical education, your physique, right? PE, they call it in, school, in the schooling system. Uh, you get a nutritionist to help you. You're going to somebody specialized in a certain area of life. If you're taking care of your health, if you're taking care of your relationships, why not your wealth? People have, some people have given up. Some people say, oh, there, there's no way for us to do it unless we get a break. But what we've learned 
and for many of us here who've been a part of Mastery, and those of us who've familiarized ourselves with the material, whether it's Robert Kiyosaki or Anthony Robbins or Napoleon Hill, I mean, wh wherever we're going to go, there are many teachers alive today that still teach the knowledge that many people have no idea exists. And hopefully the people who watch the podcast today will be awakened to a new way of thinking, a new wave of thinking that, hey, wait a minute, the game of money is similar to the game of health or the game of physique, pretty much. People who don't know that working out does not have to be three hours a day have or would not take the first step because they associate severe difficulty with that. You know what I mean? So I'm sure a lot of... There, there's a gentleman that I know who is extremely fit. He runs triathlons and marathons and ultra... Sorry, he does the, he's training for the Ironman as well, which is the ultimate pretty much race on the planet, or one of... Um, he trains sometimes 15 minutes a day. You don't have to train that much. Mm. But people who don't know that wouldn't know that. Mm. People who are not aware that it is that easy wouldn't know. So I decided to surround myself with coaches, with financial coaches. I'm in the process of bringing in people that are smarter than me, right? Because if you surround yourself with white belts, you will eventually be a white belt. But if you surround yourself with black belts, they'll beat you up. They'll cause you pain, but it's growth pain, right? It's different from injury. It's different from you know, emotional abuse. No, they're bringing you up. They're holding your arm, pulling you up, which is why you feel the, the muscle pain in your arm. You're being pulled up. So the uh, four quadrants that Arjun was talking about, do you want to, anybody wants to shed some light on what the four quadrants are? For those of us who are not familiar with the material. So, um, we will, by the way, throughout the podcast, we'll definitely give a couple of recommendations on what to read, you know, where to go, who to talk to. If you're in Dubai or if you're not in the country, if you're not in the UE, where would you go? We'll try to keep it as general as possible to make meaning for everybody who's watching this, as opposed to, oh, this only applies to the U.S. but not in the UAE. This only applies to the UAE. You guys don't pay taxes. It doesn't apply to Lebanon or to China or to Germany. We'll try to keep it as general as possible. Um, I'm pretty sure everybody can access the internet if you're listening to this, so hopefully. And, um, and that's it. So when we talk about the four, you know, I see Arjun, he has his finger pointed to, to the four quadrants right now. So let's keep it serendipitous. Why don't you tell us what they are? So if you, uh, if you want a, a visual of the four quadrants, uh, you just have to draw a plus sign. And on the top left, uh, you write an E, and the E stands for employee. And uh, the bottom left is an S. S stands for self-employed. Uh, the top right is B, which is business owner. And uh, the bottom right is I, uh, which stands for investor. So now you've got a plus sign and you've got the ESBI, and these are the four quadrants. Uh, this is what they are by definition. Would you like me to elaborate on what yeah, they stand for? So your, your E quadrant is, is what we're, we're very familiar with. It's, uh, it's a typical employment situation, uh, an organization with whom you have a contract. Uh, you, you have a, a, a wage or a salary that comes to you on a monthly basis. And uh, for as long as you have that job or that contract valid, uh, you get paid. Uh, end of the month, uh, first of the month perhaps, uh, a fixed amount of remuneration and perhaps uh, some benefits that, that go along with it. Uh, the S is uh, self-employed and this is typically uh, a small business owner, it could be a professional, somebody who is uh, a lawyer, an architect, uh, an engineer or a doctor who runs his own practice, uh, maybe even a consulting firm 
uh, and again this person is, is a professional who gets paid for the work that they do so when they deliver uh, and sell their products or services they earn uh, profits out of it and that's where their income comes from. So this is the left side, the E and the S. Uh, what's characteristic about the E and the S quadrants are that the type of income earned is called temporary income or active income. So that's that's the kind of income that they make in the in the left side, the E and the S. And what that means is when you work, you get paid. When you stop working, you stop getting paid. That's that's uh, what the E and the S quadrants are all, are all about. Moving over to the right side, which is uh, the B. The B is a business owner. And the big question that's often asked is, what's the difference between an S and a B? Self-employed business owner kind of sounds the same. I'll come to that in a moment. Uh, the I stands for investor. And an investor is somebody who has uh, accumulated a, a, a substantial amount of capital and has put it into a diversified investment portfolio that reaps a regular cash flow and that cash flow is greater than that individual's monthly expenditure. And that's, that's the characteristic of, of the I quadrant. Uh, now let's come down to the difference between the S and the B because to me in the ESBI quadrant this uh, concept, this was the most uh, fascinating idea of them all. And uh, so the B quadrant is somebody who has uh, uh, set up a system uh, uh, runs a business and that's a business that is able to run without the physical presence of the owner. So let's say the owner has set up a business which has uh, a, a, a team, systems within a team and uh, those teams continue to operate because they are equipped and empowered to, to, to run the business and uh, produce income for the owner of the business as a result of it. So typically you, you have a lot of large business owners, sometimes even small business owners. In my business itself, which I consider to be a small business, I've set up a, a B kind of situation where I work with consultants uh, who I have partnerships with. I don't pay salaries to. They're like-minded, business-minded people. They operate and take advantage of, of my brand name. And uh, we have a percentage split when, when they create uh, business for me. And so that becomes a B-quadrant type income for me. Um, so that's the left side and that's the right side. And um, the other um, difference between the two sides, like I said earlier, the left side is active income and the right-hand side is called passive income. And the passive income means once you've set the business up or once you've set the investment portfolio up, it continues to produce a monthly return for you. Uh, interestingly enough, 90% of the world population is on the left side of the ESBI quadrant and 10% of the world population approximately is on the right side of the, uh, the quadrants. Um, the 90% of, of the population that's on the left earns 10% of the money and the 10% on the right earns 90% of the money. And the difference between the two is not luck but thinking. It's just that people on the right think very differently than people on the left. And um, people on the left, uh, like an S-quadrant person typically, to an S-quadrant person, the respect of people in his field is far more important than the amount of money that he earns. I often call the people on the right um, Taoists, you know, from Tao philosophy, where they kind of like under the radar and uh, perhaps very, very cash rich, relatively unknown, and not really chasing reputation because reputation helps to feed the ego when you chase reputation, rather chasing um, uh, freedom from 
from, from a day-to-day -day routine and, and running around and having to work on a regular basis in order to earn money. So these, these, these are the differences, and this is like a little bit of a, a key of how it works. Just one more point on the left and the right. Typically, people on the left-hand side spend about 40 years of their working life, uh, approximately from the age of 20 until the age of, say, 60, retirement age. In fact, now it's even more than that. And uh, by the end of it, are left with probably not much. Uh, and if they're lucky, they've saved money, and uh, that's a pension or some amount of savings, which does not really do them good until the rest of their lives. On the right side, people who've made the transition from the left to the right, many of the successful people have done it in a time span of two to five years, where they've changed their thinking, they've kept their day job or their traditional business, and built a B-quadrant business and or an investment portfolio over a two to five year period. And after doing that, now they have the option to get out of the left side or continue with the left side more for the passion of doing the work than for the necessity of the income that it produces. So so this is like a little synopsis of, of the four quadrants and where you go. One of the questions was how do we know the difference or what is the difference pretty much between left and right? So to, to summarize that, the left, what we mean by that is anybody, whether you're an employee or a self-employed S. By the way, just to give reference, the four quadrants are in Rich Dad, Poor Dad's book, uh, Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and pretty much in many of his teachings. Cash flow quadrant. Cash flow quadrant, increase your, we're going to talk about the, the references afterwards, the books that you might want to read. But the left side of the quadrant, you're doing primarily one thing repetitively. You are trading, you're trading any time, all the time you trade, but you're trading your time for coins. You're trading your time for coins. You would work an hour for a dollar or a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or, you know, what was it, uh, $1.3 million per second for Mike Tyson in the ring, they calculated something like that. So you trade your time for money, no matter how much money you make, whether you're a doctor, a, 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 a pilot, a, a janitor, a teacher, a PhD professor at the university, you are doing the same thing. You are trading time for money. So what's going to happen, there are two things that we want to keep in mind over here. Number one, you have limited amount of time. We only have 24 hours, and you cannot work for 24 hours. You might be able to pull it off for a day or two, but it's not sustainable. The second thing, which is very, very important, probably this is a question to one, of, an answer to one of the questions, is the second thing, when you're trading time for money, you are trading, in other words, you, your services, you as a human being, for that income. Meaning, if you are at any time not, not capable or not willing to do that trade, you are not going to receive the money. For example, the gentleman that you talked about, the doctor, the surgeon, if you injure your wrist, God forbid, what's going to happen is you're not going to be able to do that trade. And if you're not financially prepared, if you have not taken savings into account, by the way, when I say don't save, we don't mean you know spend all your money. We mean do not depend on saving as the path or the route to financial freedom. Saving money is not going to make you a trillionaire or a billion. Let's let's be realistic. It's not going to make you a millionaire or even a billionaire, right? But um, so the idea is, the first quadrant, whether you're an employee or S, self-employed. I used to think S was small business versus big business, which is kind of true. But the S, the difference between the S and the B, if I may, is small business or self-employed. Meaning, it means that you pretty much work for you. You don't have a boss, you can work however you want, but you don't answer to anybody. 
The B is you don't own a job as you would in the S quadrant. You own a system, a system, which is the shift. I mean, Jay, you asked me earlier what happens, what happened to the, uh, you know, with Robert, the event, what made you want to read the book again? For me, it was that one statement, that one word that he said, the shift from the left to the right quadrant, and I started rethinking this. When I first learned about entrepreneurship and financial independence, I'm like, okay, great, I'm not going to work for anybody, I'm going to start my own business, and that's going to be the end of it. And what happened was, you get to the point where you can make a lot of money, but you spend it, and then you have to make it again, and you have to spend it, you have to make it again. If, I mean, I, I would honestly assume that 99% of the audience who's listening to this is probably in that game already. Let's say 90%. And when you see that you have to run in that rat race. We don't mean to call people rats, but it is a race, it is a loop, it is a, it's a circuit, right? You have to keep running, and when you get to the end, they'll give you food and you go back to sleep, you have to go back up again. There's a book called Parable of the Pipelines, or, or a story as well, where they teach you, in a, you know, to keep it uh, very, very simple. The, um, the mayor wanted to hire two people. If it, has anybody heard of the story? One. Great. Oh, yes. It's, it's a beautiful analogy, um, a parable. To, to keep it simple, keep it very, very quick. The mayor wanted to hire people to run to the river, carry buckets of water, and bring it back to the village. So Pablo and Bruno obviously raised their hands. Who was the uh, the rich mind? Was it Pablo or Bruno? Uh, Pablo. Pablo was the rich yeah, guy. Right? Bruno okay. was the, the other guy. Right. Bruno on the left side of the quadrant, and yeah. Pablo was at the right side yeah. thinking. Yeah. So Pablo and Bruno, it's, it's an amazing story. I, I read it. The first time I read it, it hit me. And everybody that read my my post on social media, on Facebook, when they, wow, hasn't that story is amazing. And that was back in 2010 or 2011 when I had no idea there was an alternative to working hard for money. And by the way, when we say do not work hard for money, we do not mean you have to be a criminal. We do not mean you have to work unethical. There is something called working hard, and there is something called working smart, right? So what the mayor did is he said, who wants to have a job? And Pablo and Bruno got the job, obviously. So they would go every day to the river, carry buckets of water, one bucket in each hand, from the river to the well. Drop the water, go back and forth, back and forth. Down the line, they started making a lot of money. Bruno was very happy with it. He's like, wow, I can buy a bigger hut, a bigger horse. I can go from a donkey to a horse. I could get more food. He invited everybody out for drinks. You know, at the, we, we, it was a small community, let's say 100 people or 1,000 people on an island. I like to use the island example to keep it simple. But Pablo thought, I don't want to do this all the time. I don't want to spend eight hours a day to 10 hours a day working or carrying buckets, carrying buckets. So, there must be another way. Bruno Matu said, man, you're making a lot of money, why would you even consider that? Just stick to your job, do what, do what you're told, get the coins that you're trading your time for, and it's going to be good at the end of the day. We'll save enough, we'll be okay, it's secure, you know, am I, am I ringing a bell here? So, down the line, Pablo came up with an idea. And obviously, who do you tell? You're the first idea that comes to your best friend, right? He goes to Bruno and says, listen, I have an idea. I need to talk to you about it. Bruno says, sure, what is it? Pablo says, I have an idea of building a pipeline from the river to the well. We don't have to go all the way there. We could bring the money to us, have money work for us, have the coins work for us. Bruno flipped and said, what are you, crazy? You're taking a chance. What if 
something happens? What, 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 what if you need the money? Why would you do that? This is crazy. We've never heard of a pipeline before. Who's ever heard of a pipeline before? This is new to us. What are you talking about? You're crazy. People are going to laugh at you if you do that. You're going to quit your job. You're going to do something different. You know. So Pablo says, nevertheless, I'm going to do that. So what he did is he worked five days a week as usual. And you want to know? Okay. He worked five days a week as usual. As he did, but on the weekends and in the evenings, he worked on the pipeline. Right. So he would go, let's say, 10 miles into, you know, all the way to the river, carries the water, comes back. But in the evenings, he would build the pipeline starting from his house, from where the well is. Six months later, and by the way, before that, people would laugh at him. What are you doing? Are you crazy? This has never been done before. It's never going to work. It's going to require a lot of money and time and so on and so forth. He didn't listen to anybody. He stuck to what he was doing. He barely saw family or friends. He stopped going to the gatherings with the people where Bruno was buying everybody drinks. And he was buying everybody dinner and food. And they were having a lot of fun. Six months later, Bruno started feeling pain in his hands carrying all the buckets all the time. His shoulders started to hurt. He needed more time off. And the more time off he needed, the less coins he got paid. Right? So he started making less money. And, and you know, We'd like to think that we could stay in, in shape you know, for, for all of our lives. And maybe we could if we eat clean and work out and move every day. But ideally, the, the average individual doesn't do that. So Pablo six months later was done with pretty much 50% of the pipe. Meaning, he did not have to go to the river completely. He would simply have to go halfway, right? And he, would have, he could work less hours and more hours spent on building the pipeline. Within two years, let's say within two years, I think it was a year later he realized he was halfway there. Within two years, his pipeline was done. And he created the grand opening, and everybody rushed into his his his, uh, his house in the community near the well. And he started giving instead of charging, let's say, a dollar, he gave water for ten cents, out maneuvering the the competition by far. So everybody started coming to him. He didn't even have to go to work anymore. He kind of retired at that point, right? Um, or resigned, technically, and. Bruno was almost out of a job. Pretty much he was out of a job. No one's going to pay 10 times more for water when you can get it from Pablo, the pipeline builder. And everybody hail cheers Pablo, the pipeline builder. Pablo, the pipeline builder. As opposed to Bruno, the bucket carrier. Right? <laughs> so later on, he made, a, he made a fortune. You can imagine the entire community coming to you. You don't have to work. Here's the interesting part. He goes to Bruno later on. And he said... Bruno, I want to talk to you. And Bruno got up and says, don't gloat. You, you, did a, you did a good job. I didn't believe you. you don't have to come in. I don't want to hear that, right? Pablo says, no, no, no. You got it all wrong. You're my best friend. I made it happen. Now I want to do something with you. I want to not only feed my own community with pipelines, but we want to connect a pipe to the entire world. We want to connect a pipe from our well to the entire island, to the entire world, the entire planet. And I want your help. I want you to manage it. All right now, he got upgraded from an employee to a manager. But he, at the same time, again, if you work for somebody that you love, they're, they're going to treat you well, of course. But again, never trust your financial 
the financial part of your life to a stranger. You have to make sure that you're taking care of that, right? So he started building a system all over the world. And the story goes on, but I think everybody here gets the idea. At the end of the story, the uh, moral of the story is, do you want to be a bucket carrier or a pipeline builder? You don't have to physically go build pipelines, but you need to get the parable here. You need to get the idea of what's going on. The idea here is do not trade your time for money all the time. Mm. You could do it. I mean, for example, I'll give you I'll give you an interesting example. Has anybody here heard of Zufa, the UFC? UFC. Right. Yeah. So the uh, the owner of the well, the um, the uh, previous owners of the UFC, Lorenzo and uh, Frank Fertitta, they bought the company at two million dollars. It was going bankrupt. It was banned on television. It, it was a disaster. And in I think a few three four months ago, they sold the company to uh, WMEING for 4.2 billion dollars. So right before that happened, Lorenzo Fertitta, who is a billionaire already, got a job. I don't remember where he was working, but he got a job for about two three hundred thousand dollars a year. Now somebody would ask, if you're making that much money, why would you get a job? He doesn't have to. He could quit right now. He could quit literally right now, because his pipeline is already built. He's doing that job not because he has to, but because he wants to. So the analogy here, when we talk about the pipeline, is if you're on the left side of the quadrant, whether you're an employee, you trade time for money, or you're self-employed, you have your own bucket-carrying business, you're doing that one characteristical trait, I bailed on that word, um, to trading your time for coins, which is not a bad thing because Almost everybody does that at some point, if not all the time. I still do that as well. But the idea is you need to, you need to know that if you want to not trade time for money, if the doctor hurts his hand or the, um, the gentleman carrying the buckets needs a day off, if you want to go to your daughter's birthday and she's hosting a three-day event at a resort and you don't want to work at that time, right? you should be able to do that. So the idea for moving from left to right, now to, to elaborate on the right side of the quadrant, business B or I, investor, they're a bit different. B is you owning a business, you owning a money machine, or rather you owning a, um, a system, right? So if you, for example, if you start a Subway franchise, if you start a Subway uh, sandwich store, right, and you hire, let's say, five to ten individuals to run it, with a manager. If you leave for a year and you come back, the business should be making more money. Yeah. Right? If a doctor leaves his single doctor, leaves his practice and comes back, he's supposed to be making less money. Mm. That's a difference. That's the way you can identify it. So when you own a system or a business quadrant three, which is to the right, you own a system that will bring you money whether you're there or not. And the I, which you'll find Anthony Robbins, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, everybody points to the I. Everybody encourages getting into the I. And well, the I quadrant is simply an investor. Okay. Now, I had that reaction too, and I don't want anybody here to have that reaction. When we hear investor, we freak out. Oh, you need to be a, a millionaire before you can invest. You need to have a lot of capital. Sure, you need to have capital, right? You can't invest with zero money most of the time. But the most important thing for you to know is you can literally right now invest with 1.2 or 1.3 dirhams right now in Dubai. Literally right now in Dubai, the, the richest city in the world and one of the richest cities. You can invest. Great. 
rates, mm. real estate investment trust. Mm. Their stock is trading at around a dirham, mm. and they pay you dividends twice a year. Mm. So you don't have to, you know, be the perfectionist. I, I, I used to be a perfectionist. Everything has to be great. Okay, if we don't make a, if we don't make a million dollars a year, our business, we don't, e don't even bother starting. You know, you can start small, but think big. So the I quadrant primarily indicates that you trade. Now, we already talked about the E. We're all familiar with the E when you're trading your time for money. S is when you trade your services for money, but at the same time, you're charging per hour, right? Whether you're an entrepreneur, a coach, not, mm, a self-employed, um, self not necessarily an entrepreneur. You're trading your time for money. The B quadrant is when you trade a product or a system, rather, for money. You could sell it down the line, or you could maintain your ownership of the subway store. And every month, you make about 10, 20, whatever the number is, 1,000 bucks, okay, in, in, in Dubai, of course, Durance. So, um, I don't know how much they make. How, how much money do these guys make in subways? Subways? Yeah, any idea? They should easily be making, you know, about five, ten thousand 10,000 dirhams a month. In yeah, terms of, I, they have to, right? Yeah, Probably, yeah quite like, I mean, the owners, the, the franchise owners, yeah? No, no, as sales. As sales? Oh, probably much more than that. I think. Should be more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, wait, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on. Uh, folks, I'm, I'm, mixed, I'm mixed up the numbers. I asked a, a lady that was working, it was a pizza um, franchise in Dubai, and she mentioned 10,000. I assumed she was talking about that was a day. There was a day, uh, yeah, yeah. the max day they made 10,000 for. Is that dollars, yeah? Dirhams. 10,000 a day. Revenue she, or profit? Sorry? Revenue. Yeah, in one day, there was Gross a day where they made 10,000 dirhams in sales in one day. By the way, this is this does not apply everywhere. Do your homework before you start a pizza franchise. Oh, we heard on the Hassan Matur podcast. We're going to do that. No. And um, so, so, yeah. Um, listen, the first rule of anything that I produce, whether it's a book or a podcast or a seminar, and I'll, I'll give credit to uh, T.R. Ecker because he mentioned it in his book, which we'll also mention over here. It's called... Um, Secrets to the Millionaire Mind. So this is book number two that I would recommend you guys read. Secrets to the Millionaire Mind. If you haven't read it, it's beautiful. It talks about the mindset. In the beginning of the book, he says, he says, do not believe anything that I tell you. And I'll say this to the audience right here, to everybody live in Dubai, listening to this. Do not believe anything I tell you. Take what I'm telling you. I could, I could make a mistake. I mean, if you haven't pointed it out, you guys, I would have assumed it was 10,000 a month. I can make a mistake, so check what I'm giving you. If I tell you the average you know, salary in Dubai is this, look it up. I could be wrong, right? I do my homework before going on stage. I make sure that everything I'm giving you is up to date, but whether it's me or any other teacher, keep account that they could be incorrect okay? about at least the information they're giving you. So the investor, to wrap it up, is pretty much we're focusing on getting into that quadrant where you use your money to bring you money. For example, if you have a two-by-one condo in California or in the U.S. in general, in Dubai we have studios or, you know, three-by-two bedrooms, apartment or villas. Uh, we don't call them houses here, we call them villas. They're uh, small, uh, they're kind of like a house in the United States with a garden. And um, you could purchase an apartment for a bedroom for let's say a million dirhams, depending on where you are of course, and it will provide let's say 80, 90, 100, 120,000 dirhams a year in return. Um, you take out the expenses and you have a kind of fixed return per year. 
when we're talking about being an investor, that is only one way, one type of, or one class of assets, real estate, property. You could own a business. You could own a portion of a business. If you buy a stock with Apple, you get paid dividends every year. If you own a stock with Berkshire Hathaway, which hasn't split, I think. They've, they've never split the stock. Uh, this is Warren Buffett's company, by the way. You, could, you will get a return per year. In most cases, you will. In most stock cases. So there are many ways to be an investor. This is not our topic for today. How many types of investors? Perhaps in, a, in, a, in an episode or two, we'll get into that. But the idea is you need to be careful about your financial plan. Am I going to trade time, to, to keep it simple, to summarize what we talked about for the past 15 minutes, am I gonna trade my time for money or am I going to trade my money for money? Obviously, if you trade your money for money, we're gonna get into the core element that I wanted to deliver here today, which is if you, um, I think this is on page 77 in chapter two in Rich Dad Poor Dad, the old edition, he talks about the number one rule of the rich. And I'll give you a clue. He said that's the only rule. There is no rule number two. <laughs> he said rule number one of the rich uh, of the rich versus the poor is the rich buy assets. The rich buy assets. I'm going to define what an asset is. But we need to be very, very clear on this. Perhaps we should have done this before. So do you want to weigh in on what assets and liabilities are? Anybody here familiar with what assets and liabilities are? Assets, uh, if you're having um, like your car, your home, if you're owning um, any physical thing, land, or this is an asset. Fair enough. Um, liability? Liability um, is something that um, um, you gotta pay by like end of like something which is. Like a loan, maybe? Yeah, like a loan or. No, that's fine. Something that's like fine. a monthly payment. Any like fair like, enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I'm so glad that we have the uh, the hybrid of experiences when it comes down to that. Because even if you talk to finance professors at the university or business professors, MBA, PhD in business, they're going to tell you very similar things to what we heard. They're going to tell you a house is an asset, a car is an asset, a land is an asset. Um, a business is an asset, and you're half right. Your business, the business that you own, is an asset. The land that you own is an asset. The question is, and this is one of the things Robert got a lot of heat for talking about in the early days when he called a house an asset, when he said a house is not an asset. Arjun, you want to point out to that? You're... Yeah, sure. Yeah, go Absolutely. Ahead. <laughs> so uh, the way Robert looked at an asset versus a liability, he's, he said, look, by definition, an asset should... Uh, produce a positive cash flow and a liability should produce a negative cash flow so the longer you own a liability the longer you have a monthly outflow of cash from your account the longer you have an asset the longer you have a positive inflow of cash into your account so if you take a property and you you have you are the owner of a property Although accountants would consider a, a piece of property an asset, one must consider that if you own a property and you're living in that property, you have regular maintenance costs. Uh, you pay electricity and utilities costs. So by virtue of you using that property, you have a negative cash flow from that property. And therefore, that 
property now by Robert Kiyosaki's definition becomes a liability. You might say, oh, but it appreciates in value, but you're not tapping into that value. You're living in that home and you have a negative cash flow and therefore that property now becomes uh, a liability. If you have a second property which you have out on rent, let's say you earn 5,000 dirhams monthly rent and your expenses on that property are say a thousand, you have a positive cash flow of cash flow of 4,000 dirhams every month from that property, that property now is your, um, is, is your asset. So uh, a car uh, in accounting parlance is an asset but in financial intelligence terms is a liability because it costs you uh, maintenance and petrol and, and fines and parking, etc., uh, etc., et every single month. So owning that car, although it is perceived to be an asset, actually takes money out of your bank every single month, and therefore that's a liability. Uh, Robert has a sense of humor, and he says, uh, so that's your car, that's your house. Now suddenly you say, ooh, these are liabilities. What about your children? And then he smirks, you know? Uh, and now he talks about <laughs> so so then that so th those are liabilities and therefore an, an asset is something that should produce a positive cash flow for you and liability is something that produces a negative cash flow. But yeah, that's that's just a, a basic. Uh, you, you know, it's it's a simplified version to to keep it easy for people to understand. You nailed it. And there was another explanation. It's the same thing pretty much. But he said, asset is something that puts money in your pocket. A liability does the opposite. So now that you think of everything that you own at home, especially if you're a finance background, everything you own at home is an asset, and now if it doesn't bring money in, it's not. It doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't have liabilities. Every human being has liabilities, unless you're going to be complete, unless you have cash, and that's it. But even then, you're going to have liabilities. The idea is to make sure that your assets are greater than your liabilities. The idea, and Robert was talking about wanting to buy a Porsche. That was years ago. He wanted to buy a Porsche, and he he, he said, "I figured out I figured out how to do it without paying for it." And people automatically started laughing, but they, they missed the point because he said, "I bought the asset that bought the Porsche." Mm. And if people just get this from the podcast, nice. so you can literally hang up right now and go home and celebrate. If you can purchase the asset that will buy you the liability, you're good. Because now, what we mean by that, what we mean by purchase, purchasing an asset apart from a word, is you're, bu you're buying a money printing machine, illegal one, you're, money, you're buying a money printing machine that will print the money to buy that liability and will print it again tomorrow. Your real estate or your stock uh, account or whatever it is, you're not going to it's not going to stop printing money unless something happens the next day, right? And if it does, you can always, you have to have financial acuity, financial intelligence and sensory acuity to know what to do if that happens. But at the end of the day, when you purchase assets, when you become an asset buyer, in other words, an investor, these money machine, the money machine that you're building with these mini money machines, whether it's, you know, the 13 apartments that you have, or the, uh, I mean, Grant Cardone is a big advocate of real estate investments. If you're not familiar with who he is, look him up. He focuses solely on real estate because it's real estates. You know, some people will go the other way. I know people that have made a lot of money with uh, currencies. I know people who have made a lot of money with, what was it, uh, commodities. So you have a lot of options. But as long as you know what you're getting into, 
And a, a good friend of mine told me to do what you love, pick the S that you love and get into that because you'll be able to take care of it a little bit better as opposed to doing something that you're not really a fan of. So um, we've, we've discussed the concept of assets and liabilities. Now we're going to talk a bit more about the concept of buying assets. We're not getting into too much of the detail. How do we, how do we convince the people around us to become asset buyers as opposed to liability spenders or buyers? How do, how do we do that? What is your, Arjun, what is your take on this? Uh, how do you mean? Uh, convince people? Like because everybody's been programmed to buy, yeah. buy, buy, spend, spend. Yeah. You look at commercials, they've done this in, in America, where you're watching a, uh, a movie in the cinema. They would flash popcorn and Coke, and people literally walk up into the counter, purchase popcorn and Coke, and go back, and their sales actually went up. In the 70s, if I'm not mistaken, they banned subliminal messaging as a medium of communication, of, of uh, sales, because you could really, I mean, people would say, well, I don't get affected by that. You think you don't. It will affect you on some, on some, on some sort of level, right? So people have been programmed to want to buy. And, people have been, and there's nothing wrong with that, but there is something called uncontrolled <laughs> urge of purchase, uh, the urge to, to buy things left and right. Yeah. They call them shopaholics, I think. You know? But um, people have been programmed to buy things left and right. Yeah. So we need to convince them to get into the asset column of buying. You want to buy? Go ahead, buy an asset. Because I will buy you what you want over and over again. Right? And I would like to say that it's also about instant gratification uh, versus delayed kind gratification. of delayed gratification. Yeah. So people who are actually able to delay gratification, they, they are able to start buying the assets yeah. and focus on something bigger and just have that Coke and that, you know, Snickers, whatever. Yeah. It's a great book I read uh, a number of years ago. is called The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley and William Danko. And uh, Thomas Stanley and William Danko wrote this book in the year 1982. And they went around studying millionaires in America because the common perception was, and perhaps even is uh, today, is that, um, that millionaires are, are flashy and they're easy to identify and uh, they live in big homes and they drive expensive cars. And uh, Thomas Stanley William Danko, in fact, his, their studies are quoted even today by many millionaires who use that thought process from that book to become a millionaire. And uh, in the book, he's, he says the millionaire next door is about somebody living next door to you who you thought was an average Joe, but is actually a millionaire. And they drive a fairly ordinary car, and they dress fairly conservatively. And one of the characteristics that he found of these millionaires, majority of them, is that they're very, very low-key. And they're not flashy. They don't go around talking about their wealth. Uh, or flaunting their money. It's the minority of millionaires that do that, and those minority get into the media, and the media expands on that energy by putting it on their front page, website, newspaper, uh, television, as the case may be, and so we think that every millionaire is like that. So he went around, researched thousands of millionaires in America, and he found that majority of them are very simple people, and the word that he used to describe the characteristic that they had was a word called frugality. He said they were very frugal, not miserly, but frugal. They had relatively frugal, conservative lifestyles, and they used any excess amount of money that came their way 
to purchase an income-producing asset that would multiply over time. It could be a piece of property, uh, perhaps commodities or stocks that would appreciate over time, uh, that uh, would produce a monthly cash flow, a quarterly cash flow, or an annual cash flow. And they also use the power of compounding. And compounding is, uh, like Einstein says, the, the eighth wonder of the world, and is alluded to in uh, Anthony Robbins' newest book called Money. Uh, and that's what they did. So The Millionaire Next Door is a powerful book. It kind of takes away a lot of misconceptions that we have about people who are rich and also how they became rich. Uh, the other thing that the book spoke about was the consistency uh, with each of these millionaires. They just stuck to their guns and it's like they just kept planting seeds, planting seeds, regularly investing small amounts of money. Over periods of time, the money compounded and the next thing you know, they were very, very successful. Uh, very, very wealthy, rather. So, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, you know, talking about an asset buyer house and this kind of ties into that. It's a very, very powerful book. I, I highly, highly recommend it. The um, interesting thing about education, uh, financial education, is once you start, you're not going to stop. You think this is going to be your last podcast, listening to financial... Oh, great, we're done. We get the idea. You're going to keep learning and learning and learning. And the more you read, the more you're going to want to read. Because, kind of like visiting a new country, you're going to want to see more of it, especially if you liked it. So the um, I haven't read the book The Millionaire Next Door, but now probably going to pick it up before I go home. The um, <laughs> yeah, great, yeah, sounds like a great tip. Danko and Stanley, right? Yeah, Danko and Stanley, that's the one. The the concept of buying assets was a, a, a new idea to me, specifically because when I read the book the first time, I and talk about confirmation bias. When I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, which was the second business book that I've ever read in my life. The first one was Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by Eckhart, and I thought, that's it, great, start a business. And um, the word entrepreneur, with all the cap, with all the, uh, the big letters, meant, oh, not everybody could do that, so go for that. And I did, and it worked, but it was something missing, because you feel, no matter how much you work, there is, all, the mountain, you never get to the top of the mountain. There's always more money to be made, and there's always a another day where if you don't go up you're not going to get your food for example so and it wasn't until he mentioned that word at the event where I started thinking there's got to be something else to it and I've heard and I've read the material but because I was focused on purely getting it done as an entrepreneur and even if you make I know people who have made a lot of money selling companies I know somebody who made about a billion dollars and he's miserable he got bored he had to do something else he does a lot of different things and the idea is you the moment you get out of that rat race and you get into the investor quadrant, I don't want to say B anymore, I want to say investor quadrant, because if you own a business, you're an investor at the end of the day. Once you're in that quadrant, the cash flow quadrant, what you're doing is you are, you've built a habit of buying an asset. You buy an asset here, you buy an asset there. I guarantee you, Robert is on vacation at Dubai or he's doing an event in, in Dubai or wherever he is, he's going to be shopping for apartments. I guarantee it. Mm. Or he's going to be shopping for deals. Um, Grant Cardone, same mentality. One, uh, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, I don't think he has a computer in his office. Mm. I, don't even, I don't even know if he has a phone. He's got newspapers, and he's got one certificate behind him. The, um, the Dale Carnegie, um, How to Win Friends. That's it. 
They go to university, he doesn't have a PhD in finance, but he understands what to look for. What they call financial literacy, right? They know numbers. People really, really think that a house is a liability. Sorry, a house is an asset. When you figure out that it's a liability, fair enough, that's step one. But at the same time, he doesn't mention it directly, but it's in between the lines. Don't even look at the word, look at the numbers. Is it bringing money in or is it taking money out? Because if it's bringing money in, you're good. If it's taking money out, not really. Most of the time, it's bad. Sometimes you want to keep it there, depending if you know what you're doing, right? If you know what you're doing. Yeah, I got a question. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Like, why do you think uh, most of the people fail to make this mind, mind shift uh, from the left side of the corner to, to the right side? I mean, is it like, like they create barriers to themselves or they, because of lack of education or because of what exactly? Lack of exposure. So why most of the people fail to make this mind shift? Anybody wants to take this one? So, so my mentor, who's a very wise man and who's, who lives in the B and the I quadrant, uh, says that you know when uh, well-meaning people would like to tell their friends about these ideas. And so when we awaken to the concept of what money is really all about and the fact that there is the left side and the right side, you obviously want to share it with your near and dear ones. You want to talk to your, your, your brothers and sisters and then perhaps uh, cousins and close friends and say, hey guys, you know what you're doing out there? Uh, I have a better idea. I know you're carrying your buckets and you need to carry your buckets, but how about you also start building a pipeline? And it'll take you maybe a few years, five, maybe six, seven, ten years at the most to build a pipeline, but start investing in a pipeline now so that at least a decade from now you have a passive form of income. And uh, Basil said something very interesting to me. He said, you know, when you go out, talk to people about this. He said, you know, with the right person you can say nothing wrong, and with the wrong person you can say nothing right. Nice. Because uh, some, some folks are just, uh, they're just not ready. And uh, there's a guy called Jim Rohn. And Jim Rohn says, when you look at human psychology, it's, it's the mystery and the magic. And the mystery is how that, that one person comes in, hears the same message as 20 other people does, takes that message and goes out like a rocket and, and does magnificent, amazing, magical things. And that's... That's, that's like, that's like the, he, does, he does the magic, he does magical things out of it. And the mystery is, there's 19 other people sitting in that conference who have that same exposure, uh, understand what was said exactly like he understood it, but, but do nothing with the information. And that's the mystery. And we don't know why human beings are the way they are, or think the way they think. Uh, and what we do as human beings is, we look for other like-minded people. And even if there are a needle in the haystack, like attracts like, birds of a feather flock together. It's because we, we think alike that we're sitting in the circle today. It's because we think alike that you who's listening to this podcast is listening to this podcast today. So it's, it's the mystery and the magic. And that's, that's uh, the saga of humanity as, as it kind of carries on. And, and we watch the drama play out. Um, the other thing that Basil said is, if you, if you want to help other people, uh, help yourself first. So when, before the airplane takes off, they said, you know, put your seatbelt on, and if there's a drop in cabin pressure, uh, oxygen masks will automatically fall from the roof, and if you're accompanied by a child, then uh, put your own mask on first. And you think about it, my goodness, what, what a terrible thing to say, that little baby sitting next to me, choking and, you know, snuffling away with less oxygen, and I should be mean enough to put my own mask on first. But, but you know, every airline has been through this process and experience enough to have realized and concluded that the probability of the child and the parents surviving is higher 
if the parent puts their own mask on first and then puts on the child's mask. And there is enough of uh, data to support that vis-a-vis -vis you trying to help the child on. You fail to put the child's mask on because you don't have oxygen, so the child dies and you, you die as well. Uh, John Maxwell, who's a leadership guru, says it very well. He says, you cannot give what you do not have. So you cannot inspire from a place of you having not at least started to do the things that are being recommended by other teachers. Uh, empty plates don't feed hungry people. So put food on your plate first. Be the example and lead. And rather than convince others uh, to do something, inspire them to do it by example, and you being that example. So. Exactly, exactly. And a lot of people, I mean, the question you asked is brilliant. Amazing answer, by the way. The question you asked is, is brilliant because that applies to many areas in life. We talk about why do certain people not get the game of, of money? We have the same question when it comes to the game of health, the game of exercise, the game of learning how to drive carefully, the game of we can go on and on. And the question really is why do people not change? Whether it's, whether it's the game of finance or relationships, you know, the, the boyfriend or the husband that doesn't know what he's doing or the, the, the uh, parent, why do people not change? And it, it's an interesting dilemma because they both hear the same thing. The magic and the mystery, he called it, right? Or Jim Rohn called it. Um, they both hear the same thing, but their perception, their programming, their awareness will determine everything, which is why people need to be careful what they eat. What you eat will affect your behavior, will affect your psychology. I don't, almost, almost all the time, I never eat when I have an event, whether it's from now on a podcast or a live event, a boot camp, a seminar, or whether I'm competing, whether I do the marathon or MMA, you name it. I never, I go on an empty stomach. I almost fast the whole day with an exception to water or juices because I want to stay mentally sharp. Now, obviously, you want to extrapolate that and do that you know, your whole life, not fasting, but eating clean. There's no way you could ever have you know, a pizza with Diet Coke and go for a marathon. You're going to collapse. <laughs> you try that if you, <laughs> you want to have some fun. You'll have a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know, some people think they can, but you know, you'll learn very quickly. You're going to feel But Listen, I went for a run. When I, when I trained uh, for boxing when I was in high school, I went for a run after having a small energy drink. Not the, the popular ones. It was a long time ago, but 10, 12 years ago. And um, I could do, you know, two kilometers in about, I think I did it in about eight minutes, nine minutes. And about 200 meters in, I couldn't move. I had to walk back with my hands on my side because it was painful. And I realized, oh, what did I drink before that? And automatic, from that moment on, I said, okay, empty stomach before you train. That's for me. Some people have to eat before they train. Depends on your body. I'm not giving you nutritional advice. But the idea is what you put in your being, what you put in your temple, in your body, however you want to coin it, will determine a lot on how you see with the world. And the two people that observe the teachings, right? I mean, the prophets were around a lot of people. Right? Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him. They were, had a lot of people around them. Certain people listened yeah. Yeah. and went one way, and other people went extremely the other way. Like, oh, God, what are you talking about? So it really depends on you. And the first thing that you want to look into way before intelligence is your ego. You want to check your ego. You want to keep your ego in check. Because if you have kibble, if you have ego, and you're going to sit down and you're going to say, well, I know everything. 
You're going to say, oh, what does this teacher know that I don't know? Right? Or uh, what is, you know, who is this Hessen guy coming up with this podcast? Who is this guy? How do, if, you do, if you have that mental blockage, it is a blockage. If you test your chakras when you're you know, in a state of complete uh, egoistic and the pride, I know more than you do, even if you do. Right? There's a saying, uh, there's a saying, train like a white belt, fight like a black belt. When you're training in the gym, you know, and I do that all, I attend classes, I teach MMA, but I also attend classes, and when I attend, I pr- literally pretend that I have no idea what I'm doing. I walk in, there were a bunch of guys, you know, I was training at, uh, I was taking a judo class about a year ago-ish, a year ago-ish at, at Team Nogueira's gym in Dubai, and uh, the, a couple guys were watching me train, and they didn't know who I was, they had no idea that I'm, you know, the head coach of the boxing and MMA team here in Dubai, and they looked at me, they said, they didn't say anything verbally, but the gentleman that I was uh, training with, he had me against the wall, and he, we were demonstrating techniques where he would throw me over. And uh, I think it was uh, Uchimara, if I'm not mistaken. And the other guys were looking at the way I was moving. They're like, oh, wow. Oh. As if that, you know, it's like when you look at a student that just figured something out, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, cool. They have no idea that I've been teaching this for a while. But when I walked in, in my mind, I got initially like, Wait a minute, I should, you know, why are, they, why are you surprised? You should know this by now. But they're not, they have never met me before. But at the same time, I remembered, and specifically from that day, from that day on, when you're training, if you walk in thinking that you know everything, you're not going to learn what the other guy's saying. You know, Bruce Lee had a, a you know, Bruce Lee, the, the, one of the greatest, if not the greatest martial artists ever, you know, when he created Jeet Kune Do, and there was a scene, I forget the name of the movie, but there was a scene with the gentleman he was training. He said to him, I'm willing to empty my cup to taste your tea. Right? And if your cup is full, I don't care how hungry you think you are or you say you are or thirsty and how delicious or healing my tea is. It could be coming from Mother Mary herself. If, you, if your cup is full and you're not willing to taste it, you're not going to taste it. Mm. If I walk in with words in my head, Right, the bit, there's a saying: people listen not to understand but to reply. Right, and if you're listening, preparing your answer, and you're having a conversation with a child, sometimes you would see they're shaking in their seats and they're waiting to say. He knows he doesn't care what you're teaching him, especially if you're lecturing him in a boring way. Sometimes, <laughs> not all the time. Parents don't get upset, but he's not gonna. He's not really because he wants to tell you what's in his head. So. When you are humble, when your humility is there, even if you're, even if you know, even if I know more than you do, at least I would refresh my memory. I would refresh my knowledge. And um, I remember attending a meetup about I think it was comparative religion or uh, monotheism versus atheism. I don't remember what it was, but it was about religion for sure. I remember the topic, the name of the topic. And I'm an extrovert. <laughs> I think it was 94% extrovert and <laughs> as calm as I... Really? Yeah. <laughs> 94%? The test said 94. I think it's a bit higher. I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, Which test? The, uh, 120%. Yeah, sorry? 120%. You're the expert. It's, the, uh, it's a personality test that you can take. She's the expert. She's sitting with humble and humility. She's the expert in personality analysis. Uh, if I need to speak to her. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you mind, do you mind if I... Uh, yeah, great. So... Uh, uh, Jay Tassan is an expert in uh, personality analysis. 
Look her up. She lives in Dubai. She'll teach you what you don't know. Please go to her. She'll, she's an expert at this. One of the best in the world. So, um, the idea, actually, I think she's the best in the world, but hey. And an amazing life coach as well. So, if you're, you're battling any challenges, whether they're uh, uh, financial. So you're getting advertisements. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, physical or relational. Uh, Jay's a great person to go to. Uh, and uh, and, psycho and mental psycholo psychology coach as well. That's as well. right, absolutely. And she has a perfect combination of, uh, of strategy and uh, even emotions that she can guide you with to, to better your life. So, yeah. Well, thank you. There guys. you go, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, but really, when you walk in with a white belt, even if you have a black belt, if you pretend that you have a white belt, you're willing to learn, you'll get everything. So, a long answer to your, to your question. People need, to, people need to be hungry. People need to ask, right? In the Christian Bible, it says, ask and, it is, ask and you shall receive, right? You have to ask first, the, the New Testament. You have to ask first. If you don't ask, you're not going to get it. Think about it this way. You're sitting in a place. Let's say somebody here is sitting, in a, sitting with us, all right? And apart from the five, somebody here is sitting. He wants to know, she wants to know the direction to, I don't know, the uh, where, let's say, I don't know, the, the door, and they never ask. They, the way the world is created, the way the universe is created is we cannot officially read their private thoughts. Okay? So this is your privacy. Right? People who you know, get paranoid from lie detectors, they can't read your mind. They can read cues. They can read your body language. But they cannot read your mind the way you probably see in movies. When he wants to go to the door, if he does not ask, we're not going to know that he wants the help. Sure. Right. I love what you were saying. And Robert also mentioned Kiyosaki in, uh, in his National Achiever, that was the yeah. conference, right? So one of the things he actually mentioned about the shift from S to B was the way we work with others. Because the S's, they, they are kind of protected. They are, and he also says S for stuck. Well, the bees, they surround themselves, they uh, surround, surround. surround themselves with their team and with professionals, people who are experts, and they ask for their advice. That's right. Um, or perhaps, if I may, another way to put it is, uh, you know, the S quadrant operates out of protection mode, whereas mm -hmm. the B quadrant operates out of prosperity mode. Uh, the S is constantly thinking of uh, surviving, whereas the B is thinking of thriving. And uh, so these are two different ways of thinking. Uh, the S thinks of scarcity, whereas the B thinks of abundance. And uh, therefore, the, the S is always uh, uh, in defensive and protection mode, where they're, they're not eager to share their ideas with others, whereas a B is very expansive in his or her thinking and believes that the more I share, the more I give, the more the universe returns back to me. So yeah. this, these are the d distinct differences in the psychology uh, of the, uh, the S and the B. So yeah, that's... Nicely said. Thank you. Exactly, exactly. And there was, a, there was an entrepreneur, um, I forget the name, big, big guy. I remember exactly what he said, I forget what it was, come to me. He said, I surround myself with people way smarter than me. That's it. You have to. You have to, especially if you're a generalist, because if you're, let's, let's say you're a general in the army, or you're a, you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, or even higher, and the people around you are 
depending on you to tell them what to do, you have a problem. I'm not talking about everybody. I'm talking about the people in charge. So if your CFO does not know anything about C, about, not, he has to come back to you for help. There's nothing about finance. You're going to do all the work for him. This is the mentality of the S individual, the entrepreneur, the self-employed. You know, they think they could do everything on their own. I had a lot of my first event in Dubai in 2004. I did everything, almost everything: handling the camera, introducing myself on stage, teaching the material, handing—I mean, you name it—handling um, the event, handling the venue. The technicality, the microphone, you name it. There was, I mean, my brother was helping me out um, after, during the event, but I had difficulty letting the other guys in on anything. Cause, I mean, if they do something, I would go and check just to make sure it's working, right? Because they have trust issues, not in, the, not the, in that they're bad people, but they worry. Not trust, they worry. Everything has to be perfect. Good, but if you get people better than you and you build a system, it's not about you anymore. That's the idea. So, the S is afraid to delegate, whereas the B believes in empowerment. Yeah. So that's exactly, yeah. exactly, and nothing better than a boss that wants to empower his people. Nothing better. I had an amazing boss when I worked at the university, uh, Dr. Mohammed Salam. He's the president of the university and a good friend of mine. And if I were to ever get a job, ever, it would definitely be. It would if I were to ever work for anybody, it would be for somebody like him or him particularly because the. You talk about, you, I'm sure everybody here knows what micromanagement is. That's one of the things you want to be careful. I mean, I'm not saying not to do it, but don't do it. <laughs> because if you are not careful, and if you have an alpha working for you, which is something that you need sometimes, right? There are many people who are not going to like it, even if they don't talk about it, right? And working at the university, I used to teach at the University of Wollongong here in Dubai, and I worked for it for two years. It was a, an amazing experience because I had the flexibility of doing whatever I wanted as long as I stuck to the guidelines, the basic principles, of course. It was pretty flexible. So um, the oh, S have that, that inability of getting, making that shift into the B quadrant or the BI quadrant. But once they do, everything changes. Yeah. What do you mean by micromanagement? Is it just Mi doing stuff for you personally or for work? Or both? Micromanagement, well... It depends. Micromanagement usually happens when a manager, similar to the microscope, right, is looking into every single detail that you're doing as an employee. For example, if a boss were to, oh, you're two minutes late, immediately, day one, or let's say today, you're two minutes late, wait a minute, maybe, I don't know, maybe he bought you your birthday present, right? Maybe he was in a hospital, if everyone was in a hospital, God forbid. Look into it before you get involved. So a micromanager is a manager that would zoom in all the way, if you want to. And look more into your negatives than your positives. And over-supervise. Yes, more than the negative or the positive. It could be the positive or the negative, it doesn't matter. But Jay nailed it when she said over-supervise. If your manager gets on the phone with you, let's say manager, gets on the phone with you once a week, that's fine. But if he gets on phone on the phone with you once an hour, we have a problem. <laughs> Around right? everything. No, yeah. because the reason I asked the question is my ex boss was micromanaging everything. Mm. He used to drive me up the wall. Mention <laughs> yeah. his name. We're we're, we're broadcasting a lot. Go ahead. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my god. So when you are trying to handle something by yourself, he'll come and put more stress on you. Absolutely. So are you trying to answer to him or are you trying to get the get work the job done? done? 
So we are trying to solve the issue, but he's not giving you that, he's suffocating you. That's why I asked you what you meant by micromanagement. So my present boss, thankfully, is very laid back. She lets you do what you need to do. If you need help, you can reach out to her. The other guy was like, mm. Can I have a question? How yeah. was your motivation at that stage with your well, previous boss? Not good. I can imagine. Yeah. Not good. Not only that, because now I can concur. I, I was so happy she hasn't murdered him yet. We have this I was tempted many times. Like there were there are so many people in the office <laughs> saying that we catch those guys somewhere in the dark. They would really kill it. If you're a boss and you're a micromanager, you're hearing it live. Like, okay. When I get really pissed off, I just say stuff in my language. Thankfully, nobody else in the in the office knows what I'm saying, so I just oh, you have to get it out at some point. Like amazing, of course. Yeah. And, and what was the one thing that you learned from that experience? I don't want to micromanage anyone. <laughs> isn't that isn't that lovely? Because. Uh, you, you, when you, you have role models and then you have reverse role models. So when you see someone, someone doing something that you abhor, it actually gives more attention to the opposite, which is the thing that you should be doing, doing with others. So philosophy says that if you want to appreciate the light, you've got to do it in the existence of darkness. And the reason darkness exists is so that you can desire the light and when the light comes, you appreciate the light that much more. So these reverse role models turn out to be our greatest teachers. Because like one of my colleagues from another department, he actually said, you're more relaxed now since you moved to another yes. team compared to this thing. He said, I don't see the stress in your face yeah. as yeah. when you were in the previous team. Yeah. I said, yeah, because he's sitting on my head. What do you want me to do? <laughs> Goodness. But, you know, he... You, the example that Arjun gave you, you're able to see the light because you appreciate the darkness. Mm. You're able to see the good in the new boss because of the old boss's yes. bad characteristical traits. He's not a bad guy. That one action was a bad action, right? And the moment you appreciate the lack of, things change. That's right. And I, I seriously doubt that you would, you're a pretty confident lady, but I doubt that you would micromanage your employees. <laughs> You've known me too long. Well, but, but here's the thing, am I wrong when I say that you would not micromanage anybody? You no. have the cap no. you have this, the, the, the ability to do that way that more than the other guy did, yeah. right? Yeah. But your kindness comes into play because you know that is not going to lead you anywhere. And, it, 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 yeah. and it's frustrating when, when managers or bosses or company owners don't get the fact that if you that your behavior is not yielding the result that you want and you know I love Steve Jobs I love his creativity the one thing about Steve that a lot of people who worked for him and I happened to meet somebody who worked with Steve for a long time back in the day his temper uh, was one of the bad things that free that pushed a lot of people away and temporarily paralyzed his team when he would lose it and somebody said, I would rather be a boss that inspired my team with love as opposed to with fear. That's right. Because if you That's look right. at leaders, the leaders of the past, oh, yes. uh, military leaders, uh, leaders of governments, people would die for them, right? People would literally sacrifice their, their life, whether it's a bodyguard or their people. Give me one employee that would sacrifice his life for a boss like the boss you had. 
Nobody. Nobody, right? You know, it's very important for people to realize that at the end of the day, if you, if you love your leader, if you love your, your president, your boss, your manager, your, your um, the, the, the man in charge of the pack, you are, you're going to move a lot more efficiently and effectively than if you are operating on, a, on an emotion of fear. Because if the emotion of fear is an emotion of lack. There is no such thing as darkness versus light. You know, light versus dark. There is no such thing as darkness. Darkness is not a scientific term. It's not true. It does not exist. Because darkness is not darkness. It's the absence of light. Yes. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, heat and cold. There is no such thing as cold. There is heat and the absence of heat. Right? There is um, weight and the absence of weight. There is no, I feel light today. I don't, I don't feel heavy today. Right? So when you are aware of that, you start creating a shift. You start creating a change. Um, we, we need to cover a few more points. It's interesting how when we do a podcast, we get into so many different topics. Let's just wrap it up with the, talking about the mindset, the choice, and the uh, tools that we wanted to bring, to, to bring up. So the one thing that I, I learned and I'm using personally in what I'm doing at the moment in life is the concept of mindset. Mindset. If you haven't heard of this, we'll elaborate a little bit. But Robert agrees with this, he mentioned it himself, and I'm sure pretty much everybody here is on the same page, but the circumstances do not really affect you. The circumstances, okay, I'm going from Dubai to Abu Dhabi. We're going to uh, the Sheikh Zayed Grand Mosque, and we're going on a road trip. We want to get to the mosque, we want to check out the views, probably have dinner somewhere in Abu Dhabi, and maybe stay the night on Yas Island and come back, okay? And um, during that trip, let's say I'm driving, and um, there are five of us. We have a minivan. Okay, we're all going in, and Hassan loses the. I'm on, uh, you know, Hassan Road, and I lose the way. Do I blame the GPS? That actually happened, by the way. I was going to Abu Dhabi. I lost the way, and it was. Do I blame the GPS? Oh, am I the GPS now? Ooh. No, 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 no. I'm pointing. I'm pointing. My GPS is usually to the right of where I'm sitting, and you're sitting to my right. No, uh, it's all your fault, God. See how that's how you blame, right? Uh, do you blame the road? Do you blame the fog? Do you blame the construction? You know, the the re what do they call it? Rerouting. You know, uh, recalculating. Because there are so many things, and if you look at it, you're pointing outward when you're supposed to be pointing inward, right? Eric Thomas, one of the best motivators ever, said whenever you point at somebody, you're pointing three, three fingers back at yourself. Whenever you're pointing outside, you're pointing three fingers back at yourself. And in reality, when you start blaming you or taking responsibility, don't overblame, right? But when you're taking responsibility, magic happens because you realize you're in control. And your mindset is, I want to get to Abu Dhabi, or I want to get to Jabal Hafid, or I want to get to, let's say, $1,000 passive income, my first asset, all right? Whatever happens is irrelevant. Unless you die, you're still breathing, you still have the ability of getting to Abu Dhabi, or getting to that $1,000. The concept of having that deadlock, that target-locked type of mindset onto the goal will pretty much, I think, be 80% of the battle. Because once you're, if you look at a GPS, a GPS will never complain. They'll never say, oh, there's a lot of traffic. I'm not doing my job today, <laughs> <laughs> right? The GPS will say, a lot of traffic, here, let me give you a faster route. 
right? Uh, I think the government in Dubai, in the UAE, they created an application. It's for free. You can use it without even having to pay, I think, for 3G. Um, I forgot the name. I have it on my phone. I'll pull it up in a bit. But you can use your uh, GPS to go pretty much anywhere in Dubai. It's similar to Google Maps. And if you lose your way, it will recalculate and give you a faster way. It'll never look back and say, well, why did you miss the turn? I gave you the turn. It will never complain. And due to neuroplasticity, complaining physically rewires your brain. Physically rewires your brain. Your brain is not a, oh, two by four, and that's it. It never changes. It is a malleable, adaptable muscle. It is not a tool. It is not an organ. It is not a bone. It's a muscle. It grows. Yes, it's made up of fat. Yes, it's made up of 80% water. But your brain develops. And with neuroplasticity, what that word means is your brain changes with what you experience. Right? So to keep it short, what my take on mindset is, whatever happens, stay focused on your outcome. A child would never give up walking because he failed. But unfortunately, talk, go back to conditioning in school. And listen, we own a school in Lebanon. I'm, you know, I'm involved with a lot of schools. I do believe what they do is a part of a big part of what they do is good. But schools condition children to feel pain via punishment when they fail. Mm, and this is a disaster because that's how you learn. Failure is how you learn. Failure is how you learn. You don't learn by succeeding 100%. It's impossible to not fail at something and learn it. Give me an example, a counterexample. Anybody who's watching it, just comment it. It's impossible. There are 10 doors, they're all black, and you need to open the doors. Behind nine of the doors, they're locked. Behind the 10th door or one of the doors, there is gold. Great, find the gold. No clues, no signals, no symbols, no marks on the door. How do you find it? How do you get to that door? Unless you can see through doors. I don't know anything. Unless you're psychic or something. Yeah. And, and, even if, and even if you're psychic, you weren't, you know, okay, today I'm going to be able to see through doors. Bang! I can get it. It's going to take trial and error. I'm assuming that you could do that. Uh, or people could do that. Yeah. Let's keep it open mind, right? So the idea is you need to keep that mindset of no matter what happens, that is the absolute outcome. If you're a mathematician, you're, you know where I'm going with this. Absolute outcome. This is the one thing that will never change. I'll give you an example. Um, I'll give you an example of an absolute outcome. If you're, if you're, um, I need to think of an, anybody can think of an, an absolute, an example of an absolute outcome? Until I come up with one. So let's say you're, let's say you're sitting with your child and they're on, or your son or your daughter and they're on WhatsApp, they're talking to their friends or their boyfriend or girlfriend and he's talking, you're talking to him. And she, or you're talking to her and she's talking to you back but her eyes are dead set on the conversation on the phone or the other way around right their absolute goal is not to lose concentration on that right? my absolute outcome in this podcast is to make sure the podcast is running well and then you know do I have my do I drink my juice or not and then oh do I know down the millionaire next door the, the one Arjun came up with and then and then so we have to understand that Everybody has an absolute outcome. Everybody. Unanimously, universally. If you are driving to, we were having, um, we were having dinner and drinks with a few friends uh, from high school about two years ago. There was a gentleman that, very nice guy, but doesn't know how to, you know, he doesn't live in Dubai, so driving to Dubai was not, anymore, so driving to Dubai was not very easy for him. 
especially with Dubai changing so fast. We were in Mina Siyahi, and he was trying to find his way. It took him about half an hour circling around it before he called and said, listen, I'm going home. I can't find you guys. At which point we said, okay, go ahead. If, let's say, if Muhammad, if you were coming to the event and you want to get to the event no matter what, your absolute goal would be to get to that dinner, not the event, to get to the dinner. His absolute goal was to be comfortable. This changes everything. Comfort is the kiss of death to growth. <laughs> kiss of death, that's it, you're done. Because growth means discomfort. Success means failure. Right? So, the constant mindset changes everything. Whatever you're doing, whether you're uh, an athlete competing, whether you're a uh, coach working with a client, your goal is to deliver that knowledge, or a teacher. If you're a speaker, your goal is to deliver a certain piece of information, no matter what happens, no matter what, electricity goes out, who cares? Your goal is to deliver the message, right? So we were competing in Abu Dhabi in a, in a seed startup, and there was a girl that was giving a, uh, was pitching a product, and I literally gave that as an example when I was teaching entrepreneurship at the university and told them not to do that. So she was on stage, there were hundreds of people, government was funding it, the Khalifa Fund was funding it, and everybody's attention was on stage, and uh, her, her uh, visual aid stopped working, I think it was her projector or the screen, something got stuck. And I would expect her to either try to fix it, or to overcome and adapt, right? Instead, she said, oh my God, it's not working. Oh my God, oh, she, what do we do? Oh, literally, the, uh, verbatim what she said. Oh, what do we, and I'm gonna keep some words out of it, but her reaction, her outcome was to, I feel, was to express that she was disappointed with what happened as opposed to, okay guys, we need to fix it. That's, what, that's our outcome. Or, more likely, forget about the visual aid, let's keep going. The audience is there, we can, we can communicate with them. So having a very clear goal changes everything changes everything mathematically you know if you have a GPS set on one location you're 80% done some say 90 right so mindset I feel is one of the most important topics now we go back into investing what does that have to do with investing I said well mindset is your goal let's say you're you're, you're complete you've never invested before you want to invest for the first time. Your goal is to get asset number one, whatever it may be. As long as it's legal, your goal is to get asset number one, right? Fair enough. You find a deal that is not good for you. Do you cry and give up? And No, you don't go with that deal, right? That deal is not your outcome if you've been negotiating for, let's say, three months, and it doesn't work out, or three days, or three hours, depending on the deal. And it doesn't work out. People who get upset, they, they haven't failed. Their targets have changed. Their target changed from, I want to get an asset, I want to buy an asset that produces income, to I want to buy that asset. And when that outcome didn't happen, they got upset. They got emotional. So, that's my take on uh, mindset. If you want to Very add. often, problem is not the problem. Problem is how we take the situation, how we deal with it. And if, if we deal with it such a way, oh, what is happening to me, instead of... For me. It is happening yeah. for me, yeah. Like, when you have a problem or you have a stumbling block, mm. you don't just say that, okay, I have a problem, I have a stumbling block. You have to look past it to get a solution. Yeah. So that means you're looking forward. Otherwise, you're just stuck there. Yeah. Or maybe it happened for a reason, 
let me find a way how to learn from this and how to become even stronger. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, especially when sometimes you, when you listen to your mind and, you know, our mind, as, as Hassan said, is programmed to um, do what has, it has been doing for a long time back. And uh, sometimes, like, like what Bruno has, has did, he's, he was afraid to try something new. He was always, he was listening to his mind and his heart. So um, I feel that sometimes we have to like, block your mind sometimes and listen to, and you know, break any kind of uh, limitations you have in you and yourself. And uh, yeah, follow your passion. what you said. And was, do you remember what uh, Kiyosaki said about the mind? When he During... was talking to everybody in the back? Yeah. Oh, God, you guys missed this one. Tell, tell more about this. Um, he just basically, I thought you would say. He's a very interesting ca character. I mean, him and I had an interesting conversation afterwards. But before that, he was talking to, so we had backstage access for those of us who were members of the Cashflow Club. There were about probably 40 or 50 of us. I sent you the picture earlier today. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. I right. finally found Thank it. Thank <laughs> you for sharing that. Yeah. No, literally, I got it and I shared it. Yeah. So um, he was sitting with about 40 people uh, who had, I mean, there were probably about 1,800 people at the event. And he was talking to the people who know more about his teachings than everybody in the country. Or at least everybody in the event because they were members of the non-for-profit organization, the Cashflow Club that he has, or that exists pretty much everywhere in the world. So, what happened was, a couple people were, he was giving his introductory talk, it was a 15 minute conversation with him, and some people eventually got, you know, you would see their physiology shift and they want to ask questions, right? The way I'm moving right now, they're, they're, they're a little, we want to ask questions. And, I, <laughs> I've never seen him do that before, but he, shut them down in a very direct and straight way like um how do i put this in a, in a polite way <laughs> he would say he a technical term he would shut down that noise in their head mm. yeah. mm -hmm. and he would tell them and i'm paraphrasing of course to to shut up because <laughs> and i paraphrase because uh, he was polite with them but when a layman is asking questions that should not be asked because that insinuates that you are taking your eyes off the target. For example, for example, if you're coaching somebody on a dash, on a sprint, to sprint 100 meters, and while he's sprinting, he looks at you and he says, so coach, what are we going to have for dinner? What is the first thing that you do as a coach? Oh, shut up. You have to shut up and run. Focus on the goal. Focus on the run. Yeah. I was coaching a student yesterday, and I literally told the I said, imagine that we were doing the, uh, the bear crawl, if I'm not mistaken. I said, imagine there's a tiger behind you, <laughs> and run, or crawl. So, for Robert, he was, I mean, he doesn't get irritated by this anymore, because he's seen it before, but he would tell them, non-verbally and verbally, to stay focused on the goal. And given the fact that he's got a military background, he fought in Vietnam, he's got the ability to lead. And that's one of the reasons why he enlisted. He wanted to learn how to lead. And if you can't lead, I don't care how good you are, you're in trouble. 
I mean, if I can't lead this conversation or this podcast, I mean, we can all chip in, but if I can't say, okay, wait a minute, there's an issue with the technicality over here, or hold on, we're having a bit of background noise to take care of that, we're in trouble. So it's very important to be able to control your mind. Your mind answers to you, not the other way around. You know, I think it was C.S. Lewis, he said, you don't have a soul, you are a soul, you have a body. Right? You also have a mind. You are not a mind or a body. You are you. Call it soul, call it spirit, whatever you want to call it. You are you. Hassan, Muhammad, Arjun. You are, you, this is who you are. They belong to you. Right? And they work for you. If, you. if you can't control your mind, you're in trouble. Mindset is when you tell your mind, set yourself, set your mind onto your target, and no matter what happens, do not deviate. Stick to it. And that changes everything. Because we know what happens when, I mean, if you're a boxing fan, you know where I'm going with this, Rocky. You know what happens if your opponent will, will, keeps coming at you. If you watch Rocky 1 uh, between Rocky Balboa and uh, Apollo Creed, one of the best, the best movie in the history of sports, Rocky, the whole Rocky series. Uh, he, no matter what happened, he kept on chasing him. He dropped him several times. He kept on going after him. And he, uh, Apollo Creed won in the end, and in Rocky II, everybody thought that, okay, because Rocky did a, I mean, he, he picked up, literally, a, a, a random person got a title shot. In Rocky II, when they wanted to do the rematch, when they wanted to do the rematch, Duke, if I'm not mistaken, his coach told him, we don't need that guy, we don't need this fight. You did everything you can to knock him out, and he still came after you. You don't need an opponent like that. And, spoiler alert, Rocky II ended with Rocky beating him, knocking him out at the end. Of which they had that, that kind of trilogy in Rocky III in the end, but nonetheless. The idea is when you are chasing non-stop, you know, Shane Muhammad wrote a book called My Vision. In that, in that book, he talks about the Lion of the Gazelle. Very, very good recommended book. And the example is a very, very, you know, uh, it, it's a good story to, to look into. The Lion... It is the lion is slower than the gazelle. Does anybody have the statistic on how I think it's forty kilometers, seventy kilometers per hour? The lion is slower than the gazelle. Oh. Let me let me look it up. Hold on. Um, hang on, folks. We're looking at the speed. Okay, the lion again. It depends on the lion, but it depends on the type of lion or the, or the gazelle. But the lion, according uh, to what we're looking at, is 80 kilometers per hour maximum speed in short bursts. In short bursts, um, and the gazelle is 97 kilometers per hour. One would think a lion would never catch a gazelle, but what happens? What happens? Who wins usually? The lion guts it, eats him with the entire crew. and. Dr. Ahmed Amara, an Egyptian uh, genius, in my opinion, the PhD in psychology and uses a lot of... He said the reason why the lion is capable of catching the gazelle, if I'm not mistaken he said this, is simply because he is focused on the gazelle where the gazelle is focused on an escape. <laughs> Get me out. And the other guy is going after that one target. That's why usually if a missile is going after an object or a plane or whatever, it's following the heat signature. This is physics, it's not philosophy. And that object is moving out of the way. Whatever gets me out. If you don't have a way out, if any way is a way out, if you would stand for anything, you'd fall for anything. So targets are very, very important. Target, I mean, I teach this when we're doing martial arts or anything else. 80% of your focus, if not more, should be on your outcome.
Tony Robbins sits with his team, and I'm, I'm familiar. I know some of his uh, his coaches and his team, the coaches that work with him and his team members. The first thing that he does in a meeting, what is our outcome? What is the outcome of this meeting? Why are we doing this today? Why are we meeting? Because sometimes you'll hit your outcome without going through. I mean, literally over here, I have notes for today's podcast, and. We, I mean, Arjun talked about a few things and Jay talked about a few things. We didn't have to hit the list because we got to the outcome. Become an investor, buy assets. We can literally stop right now. So, uh, it's very, very important that the mindset is under your control. And the mindset, to keep it simple, is nothing more than a GPS to section. Where are we going to? I'm going to... Subways. I'm going to Karibu Cafe. I'm going to Jumeirah Creekside Hotel. I'm going to, you know, Burj Khalifa. You tell where you're going, it will take care of it. And believe that you can get there. That's it. So, if you want to add anything about mindset, we can... So, uh, one of the things that I've heard uh, a lot of successful people to say about mindset is um, 10 words... 20 letters, 10 words, 20 letters. If it is to be, it is up to me. And that's uh, a philosophy. Uh, basically what it means is that I am responsible, I am in control. If it is to be, it is up to me. 10 words, 20 letters. Amazing. And that kind of uh, puts you in, in the seat of an owner. <coughs> Uh, where you are the uh, you're the pilot, not the passenger. Yes. Where you are the host, not the guest. Where you are the person who's driving the objective. And so when you have that philosophy, your strategy in the presence of problems is very different vis-a-vis -vis somebody who has an employee mindset. As an, an owner, thinks very differently in the face of uh, adversity as compared to just an employee. Uh, the owner will find a way around. If he can't find a way around, he'll find a way over. If he can't find a way over, he'll find a way under. If he can't find a way under, he'll find a way through. But he will until. He will until. So I will until. And when uh, things happen, circumstances, problems, challenges. My mentor told me a long time ago, said, replace the word problems with challenges. So when I, when I sit for coaching with him, he says, don't tell me I have problems, say I've, I've got challenges. And then he says, you know, how about you say, I've got this challenge and these are three possible ideas that I have to resolve this challenge. What do you think about these ideas? And or do you have some more ideas? So that's a solution-oriented mindset. Uh, when challenges come into your life, they come for a reason, or they come for a season. And uh, more often than not, in the face of adversity, you can choose to be better, become better, or bitter. Uh, when you face a stumbling block, hey, hang on a second, that stumbling block could now be a stepping stone. So the situation hasn't changed, it's your thinking towards the situation that has changed. And so philosophy is what it's all about. That's where it comes down to. How do you think uh, about life in general? And then it doesn't matter what the circumstances or the challenges are. 
when you have the right philosophy, you ask the right questions. And the right questions are, how would an intelligent person resolve the situation? Resolve the situation. How can I find a solution to this challenge? Or perhaps another question is, I wonder where the solution is hidden. How would, how would a child solve this problem? This is one of my favorite questions when it comes to creativity. Looking at a situation, because children are very, very creative. Who can help me with this challenge? Who else has had the same challenge in the past that has resolved it? who I can learn from. That's very powerful. I, I went through a fairly serious uh, physical challenge recently with, with my back, with uh, the disc between the L2 and the L3 protruding, touching the sciatic nerve and causing me pain and discomfort. And that kind of freaked me out because all my life I've had very, very good health. I've always been conscious about fitness and so forth. And so after coming through that whole emotional process, uh, this is what helped me, this question is what helped me the most. Who else has had this challenge that has resolved it? And I just asked that question two or three times and, and this friend's face flashed in front of my mind and this is a friend of mine, Arshad, who's had the same thing, even worse. And, and he overcame it in six months and I had, I had no idea what he did, but I just know that he, he was down with a back problem where he could barely walk. Six months later, he's playing tennis and swimming and running about and all that kind of stuff. So obviously I reach out to him. And my question to him is, what did you do to resolve the situation? And he shared a solution with me, which I'm working on and is very much, I'm probably 70, 80% on the way out of this challenge because I found someone with the same problem, with the same challenge, who had who found a solution, who resolved it, and then follow in their footsteps. Uh, one of the things that Basil says is, um, this is something that I talk about, I, I call it Basil, my mentor's success flowchart. He has five steps. In, in the success flowchart. He says, number one, define what success is to you. It's very, very important. What is success to you? Is it having a lot of money? Is it having a farmhouse in, in a small town in South India and just doing organic farming? For some people, that's success. For some people, it's uh, a friend of mine for her successes and she's, she's just landed in Beirut now and she's gonna help out the refugees and for her, that's success. You know? To help the people out there or for some people it's, it's having a Lamborghini and a, and a 20 million dollar home in uh, in France it's nothing right or wrong but it's very important to define what success is to you once you've defined what success is to you step number two find other people who've achieved that success so you've defined success as what it is to you number two you find other people who who've gotten that kind of success and number three find out what they did to achieve that success. And you'll be surprised how easy it is to get that information. Most of them would have written a book or would have a video and many of them are approachable. Many of them are very, you'll be surprised how approachable, genuinely successful people are and how eager and willing they are to share their quote unquote secrets with you. So number one, define what success is to you. Number two, find other people who have achieved that success. Number three, find out what they did to achieve that success. And number four, Start doing what they did. Start doing what they did, one step at a time, inch by inch, everything is a cinch. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. That's number four. And number five, figure out how they think. What, what's four? Number four, do 
what they did. To what they did, which is strategy. What are the things that they did to achieve what they have, which is the thing that you want? That's number four. So define what success is to you. Find out the people who've achieved that success. Find out what they did to achieve that success. Number four, start doing what they did. And number five, most importantly, learn to think like they think. Because it's not really their strategy that is giving them success, it's actually their state of mind which is giving them success. So it's, it's, not just, it's not only the strategy, it's also the psychology. And so it's a simple process and... Uh, it's their mindset. It's the mindset. I have a question for you. Uh, Arjun. Yes. Sorry, what's your name? Anija. Anija. Uh, sorry, yeah. I came in late. No worries. Great you said you had some problem with your back. I yeah. just heard the yeah. latter part of the conversation. That's, that's right. Yeah. Could you tell me a more? So, um, uh, April of this year, I was in the gym. I'm very fond of fitness. I do a kind of cross training. Uh, I like to do a combination of weight training, stretching, running, yoga, everything. So I've always been that way ever since I was 13 years old. And I had this ouch incident in the gym. Uh, kind of uh, ignored it for a little bit, went to an acupuncturist. He resolved it about 70 or 80%, but that residual pain of 20% never really went away. A few months later, went for an MRI. Uh, figured that the disc between my L2 and L3 is a little dislodged and is touching a nerve and that nerve is causing discomfort and pain around the muscles and the sciatic nerve sending an electric current down uh, you know so so uh, I went to an orthopedic surgeon who frightened the bejeebies out of me and yeah, said that you know they, which, they, which is what they paid to do I suppose and yeah. told me about surgery and all that kind of stuff uh, and, and I, I even though my acupuncturist is very very good uh, I also went to a chiropractor who did some good work on me and sorted a good amount of my back out. Um, the MRI still showed that there was some, there was a challenge out there that needed to be resolved. And that's when I applied this because I, when I looked at the report, I actually came home and I cried because I've, I've been used to good health all my life. And at this stage, this is kind of staring me in the face. I'm like, and I cried for about 20 minutes, came over it, and then I'm like, okay, well, what's the use of Having studied all these strategies, if I can't apply, here's an opportunity, uh, learning opportunity, application opportunity, and that's when I said, okay, who else has been through what I've been through and has resolved it? And uh, I actually found two people. Uh, one of them is a close friend of mine, someone who I've done work with and who's known me for almost eight and a half years. And the other lady is, uh, is an energy healer who Hassan met the other day, Sophia. She had the same challenge as well. And I said, oh, if, if, yeah, so she went through the same thing herself. So I'm like, okay, if, I, if I'm taking advice, I want to take advice from people who've had the same problem and who, who's resolved it, who've resolved it. Because they're going to give me the best advice because today they've, they've used natural means to cure that condition. So Arshav introduced me to a specialist yoga instructor who works with people who have this kind of challenge. And I've finished about uh, 10 sessions with him so far. And I'm going to continue that process, and there's been a remarkable improvement. The pain levels have gone down, the flexibility has enhanced, the strength has improved, and I can see that it's getting better, and it's also affecting other areas of my life. Uh, the advice that Sophia gave me was, uh, she said, don't be attached to a, a timeline with regard to when your body should heal. She said, allow your body to decide 
when it should heal. The moment you start putting pressure on your body that it has to be healed by 31st of December, that's not how the body works. The body needs to go through certain processes. The moment you detach from a completion date with regard to healing, you allow the healing to take place automatically and then you are healed. And so I'm like, okay, I want to follow the footprints in the sand. These are the people who have walked through the minefield without blowing up their legs, right? Another met war metaphor. And so uh, that's the strategy that I want to follow. When it comes to financial independence and wealth, we want to follow in the footsteps of people who have achieved what we want to achieve. And uh, you know, find out what they did and start doing what they do and start thinking like what they think, which is exactly what we're doing in, in today's podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, in neurolinguistic programming, uh, Tony Robbins, Richard Bandler, they all talk about one thing, which is modeling. And the moment you model somebody who's already done it, you're bound to get there. If Arjun got to the top of the mountain and I want to get to the top of the mountain and I look at the ground and I find footsteps and I walk the other way, something's wrong. It's always good to follow something that has worked. Specifically if they're where you were initially. So, um, you know, we did mention the word choice earlier and now that people know that, wait a minute, you can control your life. Specifically, we were talking about finances. I know we deviated a little bit, but you have a choice. You could either wake up and get into the game of being an investor of buying assets, or you can go back to sleep and hope something happens, which rarely does. And I'd, I would personally rather much have control over my life or rather than give you know the keys to my own oxygen tank to the next guy. So... It, you know, there's a lot of information that we could definitely get into, but if we were to leave the audience with one, or to leave ourselves with one word, I would feel, let me know what you guys think, I would definitely feel it would be education, financial education, financial education, read, read as much as you can. I have a, I have a, a recommendation list, a recommended list, and I remember when I taught this business class at university, right at the end, so we had a 13-week uh, training camp, sorry, a 30-week uh, semester, excluding vacation weeks and whatnot, uh, and semester breaks, where I would give them two to three, maybe even four or five books a week as a recommended reading, at least one or two, at least one, Whether and that's just a book, that's not a documentary or a podcast or a person to meet or an event to go to. At the end of the year, at the end of the semester, I told them, I know that you haven't read all these books, at least most of you haven't, and it's really hard for you to read them all by the end of the year because, especially if you're not used to reading, but now you have a list. Now you have a list. Now you can take that list home, put it on your, you know, your cupboard or your fridge or your desk, and have a, oh, checklist, oh, great, I read book number 1, 10, and 40. I gave them about 75 books. And that is, that is a summary of all the books <laughs> that I read. Wow. <laughs> no, no, no. The, and I, look, I gave them the top 70, 75, 78, some, some over 70. I remember the, the number seven. Wow. And I told them these are the best 70 books out of the about, at that time I had about four or 500 books at home. And I told them, instead of going through the, the process of, oh, which one, I'm telling you what to focus on. Rich Dad was one of them. Money Master of the Game was not on the list, but let's mention it since we're getting into it. Uh, the, I'll, I'll mention, um, and by the way, feel free to add on whether it's related to finance or not, but if you have anything about finance, mention it. Um, Robert Kiyosaki is one of the best teachers, you know, I would recommend if you want to learn about money. He's one of, in my opinion, one of the top ten. But um, whether you're going to read, definitely start with Rich Dad Poor Dad. Definitely start with that. 
to reach that point that part two initially he called it was cash flow quadrant um, and to tell you what he meant by rich dad poor dad first of all he had two fathers his real dad his educated dad and his best friend's dad and both of them had knowledge to give one of them had one of them understands the game of the money the game of money rich dad and the other one didn't poor dad and in that book he talks about both advice that he got and which one he followed to get to where he is cash flow quadrant book number two is we're talking about the four quadrants, E-S-B-I. Which one do you think we're talking about? Which quadrant is cash flow quadrant? It's where the cash comes in. Flow, yeah. Cash flow investor. Yeah. If, interestingly enough, I just figured it out recently. I, I knew the term cash flow, you got it, yeah. Cash flow, but cash flow quadrant. Oh, he's talking about I. He's talking Yeah, literally figured out recently, yeah. and I teach this stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's why he named the book that way. Initially, we forget the name of the book. The reason why they called the book what it is, Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich, right? So, so uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cash Flow Quadrant, both by Robert Kiyosaki. Increase your financial IQ. Uh, if you haven't read it, I liked it more than almost any other book combined on, on business. These three books are very, very good. Um, and uh, I'm in the process of reading this one. I haven't, I haven't finished it yet. But Guide to Investing by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, I feel it's going to be a good book. I'll be able to judge it better by the end of the book. I'll mention it probably in the next podcast. But for sure, these four books by Robert, if you want to get started, these are the ones. What's the last one you just read? Uh, Rich Dad's Guide to Investing. Yes. And I was hoping he wrote something about that, and then he eventually These were his first three. And at, at the time, I, I remember he was the only author in the world, uh, when the third book came out, who had all three books on the New, new, on the new York Times bestseller list at the same time. Oh, my God. So that was a feat which Robert was the first person to accomplish that feat. Perhaps other authors have done it since then, but he was the first one to do it. Um, historically. And he writes a lot of books. So for these three to end up at the same time, it's yeah, at the same time. That's right. It's, it's crazy. I don't, has anybody ever done that? Uh, before? Before? No, not before. No way. It's after, I, I think perhaps I haven't followed up on it. It's just that at the time when it happened, he was the first author uh, to have accomplished that. So, so, yeah, so that's Robert Kiyosaki. Um, this is not a book I wanted to mention afterwards, but um, he created a game called cash, The Cash Flow Game. If anybody, if you're not familiar with the game, I'll, I'll give the uh, Monopoly example. Any, everybody here has heard of Monopoly, if not played Monopoly for hours on end, right? Um, <laughs> Monopoly is a game where you build property. Cash flow is very similar to Monopoly. It's not about property only, but it's very similar to Monopoly in a way where you, it, it's, I can't call it a game. It is a game, but it's more of a tool. It's an educational tool on how to train your brain to build the mindset of an investor, a successful investor. So if you want to program your brain on how to be how to be an investor, a successful investor, I don't want to use the word rich, but I did apparently. Play the game cash flow. Prefer if you can buy it, great. If you can get it on the iPad, great. But if you can go to a cash flow club or play with a bunch of people, or even better, play with somebody who's played it before. Ooh. I played it over a hundred times, many, many times with the guys here in Dubai. And you have a very good cash flow club. 
in Dubai. A good friend of mine runs it. And uh, I mean, they have it all over the world, to be honest. They have one in the United States, many in the United States part. I apologize, many. <laughs> and um, I'm sure they have one in uh, they have one in Abu Dhabi. He actually runs both, Dubai and Abu Dhabi. They have one in Sharjah, so on and so forth. So this game, I, I, I don't know who, to, I think, I don't know if Robert mentioned it or somebody else did, because uh, they were both there. Rich Dad Poor Dad came as a manual to the game cash flow, to the cash flow game. It was a user manual, people didn't know how to use it, so he wrote that book as a guide to the game. So that is under the umbrella of Kiyosaki, okay, mm -hmm. Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, Anthony Robbins, I'm sure everybody knows who he is. If you don't, he's pretty much the guy who started the coaching industry in the world. It was him, and before him it was uh, um, Jim, Rome, Jim Rome, and that was it. I mean, before that, you had the gurus, Zig, you had Zig Ziglar. Ziglar and uh, Hill. Hill. Pretty much, yeah, he's, right. he literally exploded the whole concept of uh, coaching. He has a team of over 100 coaches on the field, maybe even more. So he wrote a book. He wrote a lot of books, but the one I want to mention here today is Money Master the Game. If you want to, I mean, if, if you're a reader... If you like reading, it's it's a it's a tough cookie to crack, but once you crack it, it's rewarding. It's I think six hundred pages of gold. Yeah. I read the book. The first time I read the book, I hated it. <laughs> the second time I read the book, I loved it because he want he, I mean he'll never admit it, but he technically has a PhD now in finance based on his research on that book. Because I don't know if he got a PhD, but when you do a four-year research and you publish a 600-page book, when wow. you interview the 50 richest people on the planet or in America that have made more money than pretty much everybody in the country combined, trust me. That qualifies. You, yeah, that qualifies. I mean, all he has to do is go to Harvard and we'll give it to him. Yeah. But, um, and, and he interviewed the richest people in the world. I'll, give, I'll mention a few names. I mean, Buffett, I think, is on the list. Carl Icahn is on the list. Ray Dalio is on the list. Ray Dalio alone is enough. You just hear what Ray Dalio taught him. That's enough. Um, so that book, I personally recommend. Uh, got it on the, I got the second copy on the airplane. So I my best friend placed an order from, uh, from the U.S. We were supposed to get the, the first book that came out. A year later, we haven't gotten the book yet. <laughs> and they had a, an issue with the shipping. They're, they're, it's a good, you know, Tony's a good guy. But uh, I was in the airport in Lebanon waiting for my flight, and I went into Virgin Megastore, and they had that book. So I bought it. <laughs> and I pretty much read almost all of it on the airplane, literally coming here, a four-hour flight. I'm a fast reader. But on my way back, they shipped the book. <laughs> so I, have, you know, I got an extra copy. But the one they shipped me, really, was the one I was supposed to have, which was a hard copy. So I'm like, great, I'm keeping that one. And um, very, very interesting book. I, su I suggest you guys read it. And he, the subtitle was Seven Steps for Financial Freedom, if I'm not mistaken. So um, another one is George Clayson, The Richest Man in Babylon. Mm. Uh, my uh, cousin, my, uh, my cousin, I should say. My cousin bought me the book in Dubai. And um, it's written with ancient English, if that's the right term, ancient English, mm. or mm. old English, mm. pretty much old, old English. Yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing book. Um, I don't want to spoil it. Read the book, Seven Steps to Getting Financially Free or Financially Independent. There's a difference. Uh, Napoleon Hill, I'm sure everybody here knows what I'm about to say, but if you haven't read it, read it again. If you haven't read it, read it. If you have read it, do it again. I know somebody who's read it. Bob, uh, Bob Proctor read it over 100 times. Easily. Think and Grow Rich. Phenomenal. Absolutely. I put, I think I put a week 
to reading that book. You can read it in a day if you're really put into it. But I put a week reading the book in a way where I read every single word, highlighted every single sentence that was important, wrote notes, literally a week full-time on that one book. And when you do that, you get to realize how much information we have on the planet that's not being used. This book has been around for, for decades. And you have people here who are 30 or 40 or 50 who haven't even heard of the book. It's not a bad thing. I haven't heard of the, I haven't heard of the book you mentioned, Arjun. Right, so we, if you haven't heard about it, not a bad, not a big deal. If you heard about it and you didn't pick it up, and you're, or, or today, if you're not planning on picking, up, picking it up, listening to this, uh, you know, it's, listen, it's considered one of the best books ever, ever. And I'm telling you, I have a big library of books. This is on my private or my personal collectible, collectible, did I get the word right? Shelf. Uh, I can tell you exactly where it is. It's on the second shelf to, to my right, right in front of my computer. Yeah. Tell you exactly where it is, and I have like three or four copies of this. Different There's versions. There's another book, but I'm remembering the author's name, Wallace Wattles. Uh, gosh, we need to look this up. It's a very, very impactful book as well on the lines of Napoleon Hill's Science of Getting Rich. The Science of Getting Rich. I went to uh, Borders to get it. Uh, it I think a week ago, and they were out of stock. If I'm not mistaken. Mm. Yeah. Is it developing the concept of mastermind and stuff? Or? I, I think, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Rhonda, Rhonda Byron, I think that was her inspiration before she wrote The Secret. Yeah. If or I'm not mistaken, really? her daughter gave her a book and that was it. If yeah. I'm not mistaken, Science I'm 99.9% yeah. sure. In the point, you we talked about it. Donald Trump, uh, look, whatever your political view <laughs> is, the guy's a smart guy. I like him. And he wrote a book called The Art of the Deal. If you want to learn about real estate or if you want to learn about negotiation and getting deals, this is the book. Uh, of all the books he wrote, he did write a couple of other books, but uh, good ones. But this one in particular is very strong. Uh, Benjamin Graham wrote The Intelligent Investor. If you don't know who he is, he is the mentor of the one, the only Warren Buffett. So The Intelligent Investor is a book this thick that is one of the best books on investing, period. Probably the best. Probably the best. Um, I mean, if you're an investor, if you're a professional investor, you know, if you've made over $100 million and you're listening to this, I hope, if you're listening to this, I think you would appreciate this list, especially if you read these books, because, you know, for a beginner, if you have no idea, if you were born in a, raised in a poor society, poor environment, this will be it. And we live, I mean, we were talking about this before you guys got here. We live in a world where with technology, you can do anything. You know, how much money and time and energy and people and manpower would have cost us to, to launch this podcast. I'm literally doing this on a tiny device called an iPhone. That's it. Nothing else. No microphones. No, I know it's, a, it's an audio podcast, no cameras, but we're in a hotel lobby, you know. The, the holy place, right? So, uh, Benjamin Graham, the intelligent investor. Uh, Warren Buffett wrote a book called The Snowball Effect. I haven't read it yet, but it's on my list. Um, I would definitely advise to look into Warren Buffett. You know, Berkshire Hathaway is one of the top 10, I think, companies in the world. His stock hasn't split as, as far as my knowledge goes. And uh, his net worth is crazy. I don't even know what his net worth is. Probably top three in the U.S. Really, really successful guy. And... Uh, um, John Templeton, if anybody's heard of him, very, very interesting story. Sir John Templeton. Sir John Templeton, <laughs> uh, pardon me, because, I mean, if he, I think he is the first billionaire who is 
a self-made billionaire by the means of investing only. And to make a long story short, he invested, he, t <laughs> he borrowed 10,000, this, this is true, he borrowed $10,000, if I'm not mistaken, from his boss. You know, would you borrow money to invest? He borrowed $10,000 in the 40s or something, yeah. the 30s, 40s. And he invested in every single stock trading in the New York Stock Exchange trading under a dollar. You want to be a billionaire quick? This is it. He, not quick, but within probably, you know, 30, 40 years. Depends on how well you do it. Again, you know, Arjun said it. You can get it in five, ten years. You can get it in two years if you have the proper map. How long would it take you to get to Abu Dhabi from Dubai? An hour or a year if you don't know what you're doing. Depends on how accurate you follow the shortest path based on where you are, when you are, how you are doing it. You know, using an airplane will get you a lot faster than using a train. So, uh, but if you're in the UAE, they're building the, uh, the Hyperloop, you'll get to Abu Dhabi in 12 minutes. <laughs> um, so, he invested on any stock trading under a dollar, he bought it. Now, the world, you know, the market was in turmoil. But sure enough, I think uh, four companies went to zero, the others went up. Mm. He made a 400% return, $40,000 from $10,000. He did it again, World War II. He did it again. Well, where would you invest after World War II? <laughs> think Japan, think Germany, right? Um, he retired, he got his own, he, I don't know where he was, he went to an island, Caribbean, I think. He retired and he started the Templeton Fund. Billionaire, multi-billionaire. And uh, look into his story. All he did was buy low, sell high. If you want to understand the game of business or the game of investing, this is, a, look, I'm not a billionaire, right? I'm yet, not a millionaire yet. yet. Huh? Yet. 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 <laughs> but I'll tell you this. NLP. Look, we, yeah. I've got two NLP gurus over here. So they'll, they'll put me in check if I make a mistake. But the one thing that I have, and we've done this before, uh, you know, trading on a, on a certain occasion when we did make money, and you can make a lot, it's only one concept, folks. Buy low, sell high. It's a very common concept if you're surrounded by investors, but people make that mistake. Right now, well, I probably shouldn't say this right now, but we'll, we'll wait for a few years, but um, make sure you purchase whatever you're purchasing, whether it's a property in the US or a stock in uh, the New York Stock Exchange or a property in Dubai, wherever you, whatever you're doing, look, even if it's a, an up season, there's always a product that is undervalued, okay? You know, I was on the phone recently with um, real estate developers who were working on the Dubai South project. They're they're selling pro they're selling property at a dream, at a dream price. I mean, who would have thought you could own a property here in Dubai for you know three hundred thousand dirhams? Who would have thought? Um, and uh, pretty much Templeton really really understood that. So um, that's my recommendation. That but that's. Ah, let's try that again. That's my recommended list. If anybody has any additional, uh, I mean, I know Tony wrote "Awaken the Giant Within" and um, "Unlimited Unlimited Power." Both very good books. But if you want to get the game of money, "Money Master the Game" is a dead. He spent four years doing this. Four years, and he hasn't written any books in a long time. And he didn't. I mean, he says. Uh, he interviewed 50 people. I'm sure he did a lot more, but anyways, I would look into the, uh, the list. Uh, if anybody's watching this, create the list and post it, but um, that's it. So. Also, Warren Buffett wrote a simplified version for children about investing. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. 
Yeah, it's quite interesting and it's funny. So, yeah. Something like for dummies. Yeah. <laughs> So, this, is, this was the first podcast, guys. Congratulations. Thank you, Thank you, guys. Uh, you know, the most, I, I said it a million times, but the most, most important thing in the world are the people we meet and the experiences we share. And if you have, you know, quality people around you, good friends and good people who, I mean, apart from just friends, but also people that, you know, kick you in the behind and get you moving, um, and knowledge, you know, the, the you know, the so, somebody said I had a my my first uh, what do you call it the the, the book uh, key, the bookkeeper the the book the page keeper what do you call it the thing you put in the book bookmark the bookmark yeah, Whew, mentally exhausted if I yeah. the word bookmark. It said uh, books are not meant to furnish a home or to furnish a house. But nothing furnishes a house more beautifully than a book, <laughs> or than books, right? And you surround yourself with books or yeah, knowledge so or true. paper and pens, you know, you build meaning. Somebody said, do something worth writing about or write something worth reading. <laughs> and if you have these, you know, tools around you, whether it's a book, an audio book, it doesn't have to be a book. It could be an audio book, it could be an event, any type of knowledge, any type of education that you can get. Sometimes education comes from what not to do. <laughs> you know, you don't want to, you know, you see somebody walking to use the example of a minefield, God forbid, and, you know, things happen. You don't want to go there, right? You see somebody investing all in or gambling all in. People go, people walk out of a casino crying. You don't, you don't go into a casino, right? Uh, but again, I, I like to... Vegas. Yeah. I, I like to, you know, look at the good and bad and everything. Uh, and the good from watching certain things or reading certain things is you learn you learn the mistakes. You learn the mistakes. And uh, that's it. I mean, if we can learn anything, um, is, again, I mean, the, you know, Robert talks about it. Uh, Tony is a big, uh, Tony Robbins is a big advocate of growth. You're growing. You have to grow. A tree is either growing or dying. You're either growing or dying. Your muscles. My cousin is a, is a professional, she's a competitive uh, uh, swimmer, professional swimmer. She medaled. I mean, we went. We were having dinner at their place once, and at that time she was like only ten or twelve or thirteen, and she had a long table, probably four times the size of this in terms of length and width. Her and her brother are both were both competing at the time, and it was flooded with medals. I'm talking a <laughs> mountain of medals, not medal human, a mountain of medals. Okay, and trophies, medals and trophies, and. She swims every day to one or two hours a day, minimum, minimum. And they'll tell you, professional swimmers will tell you, if you skip, I think we had this conversation before, I don't know, Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong. If you skip a day, your time goes off. Your time goes down if you skip a day. I was training for um, the mini Olympics, they call it. We had a tournament here in Dubai 2012, and I was doing the one kilometer sprint. And I was timing myself. I did the off and on, off treadmill. I would never, I would usually do it on the beach uh, or on grass. Try to avoid concrete unless you have good shoes, uh, just a health tip. But I would time myself every day. And if you take a day off, your number gets affected because your muscle is either growing or shrinking, right? You don't have to be a giant, but it's either getting stronger or weaker. Try, you know, not singing a song for a month. 
That's why you have athletes or soldiers, they train every day. Shooting rage and running and push-ups and combatives. They train every day. And if you take a day off, you're in trouble. You know, I feel literally, because we want to do this podcast, hopefully, inshallah, we want to do this every week, if not. And I feel if I take a month off, you know, it affects you. So, um, Uh, it affected us also when you were, when you were away for some time. <laughs> I, I took a... For, he, he's referring to the six, six months, six month sabbatical yeah, you, you that I took. You've been off for some time, between, man. For yeah. 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 Oh I took a break from a, from a lot of things, and uh, now bit by bit we're rebuilding the, uh, the empire. So <laughs> that we have a... You know, this is... Again, the podcast falls under what we do at Mastery, but uh, it's a different entity. Mastery, we do things live. So if you're listening to this podcast and you are in the UAE, do, uh, you can find us on um, Facebook. But go to Meetup. Go to Meetup. You'll find it there. It's free to join. I don't charge anything for it. It's completely free. And uh, we do a lot of, uh, we do a lot of uh, you know, research, a lot of gatherings, rather, on important topics, whether it's money, whether it's... Um, health, whether it's relationships. We did an event with a good friend of mine in, uh, she's in Lebanon right now. We did an event in Dubai. I think it was in March or April. I forgot the date, but it's some, it's, it's up there. You can look it up on uh, the art of relationships. Phenomenal. Yes. Uh, it was a collaboration with Phenomenal Souls. Uh, Lama is the, uh, the, order, the organizer of that event, of that uh, community. Uh, she has one, I mean, her, her, Organization is in Lebanon, Lebanon-based now. It was in Dubai. She does both Dubai and Lebanon. Mine is in Dubai, and we did it. We did a joint event together here right before the retreat that we did in uh, Abu Dhabi. Sorry, Fajr, not Abu Dhabi. And um, we got together. We talked about the the science of healthy relationships, and we. And she's a relationships coach. So when you have people who know, I mean, today we have people who've never heard of. Robert Kiyosaki's material, assuming, and of you who have adequate knowledge in it. So it's always good to gather and mix energies around because when you put hot water with cold water, it mixes. When you put people who don't know anything about Finland and people who know a lot about Finland, the, 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 let's say Helsinki, the, the, how to move around the city, you'll know how to get around. Mm. Right? So very rarely, you know, unless of ego or uh, arrogance would the one who knows gets affected by the one who doesn't very rarely almost impossible but usually usually you'll pick you'll it'll rub off you'll pick something up right at the end of the day that's what we're here we're here to know more about the universe we're in you know that's one of the reasons i started the podcast to to explore more down the line i, I know that down the line we're not going to have enough people in mastery we're not going to have enough seats for people in mastery it's going to be too full we i mean i had to put i have to put a limit now and the podcast will pretty much broadcast it live. It will always be live online on you know on YouTube, but that would definitely help. Um, and um, you know, for those of, for those who are watching this live, you know, you could do this too. You don't have to. And if you have any suggestions, if you have any uh, topics you want to bring up, you guys have access to Mastery. It's it's a private community. Uh, let me just look this up because some people are messaging here. Hold on one second. 
Sorry, I was checking. Yeah. So if you have any suggestions for topics, you know how to reach me. HassanOnTheTrue.com, meetup.com forward slash mastery1. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, I just wanted to check. So if anybody wants to add anything else before we wrap it up, go ahead. We need to be out of here by 8. We have about 15 minutes in max before we end up. So. This, you know, initially, I gotta be honest with you, I was freaking out a bit before we did this. I was like, well, I haven't done this before, the live podcast. And um, I planned on a three hour podcast, but, initially, but later on, I'm like, wait a minute, what if I only have 30 minutes worth of information? <laughs> so I told the guy, oh, probably two hours ish. You get the information. You get the hang of it, yeah. You have some information on the rest yeah, of One subject opens the, the other one, the another one. That's true. So, thank you guys for coming. Thank you for coming. I know you guys are busy till the 16th. It's mainly, well. Jank, you're not here. You should be here. If you're here, just get me here next time. Yeah. J. J. How do you spell it? J A Y. J A Y. Okay. Yeah. How do you spell yours? A N I J A. Okay. Yeah. So, I got yours, Mohammed. Mohammed, yes. Mm. That's Arjun, right? Arjun, Arjun. yeah. Where, where's Arjun? Oh, he's, uh, yeah. he's on the phone. Because we books. thought it's two hours. Yeah. Sorry? We thought it's two hours. Yeah. So How long like, has oh it been? God. It's been two, oh, two and, and a half hours. It, was, it actually went by so quick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I thought you mentioned from five to eight. Five to eight, but again, uh, I was worried that we're not going to have enough uh, to cover. It looks like we have more than enough. Five to seven. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Good. All right. Thank I'm you guys. Thank you, Hassan. Like, changed it from Thursday to Friday. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't. I'm teaching a class on Thursdays in the evening, no, and that happened on the last minute. For so. me because my schedule. Yeah, you did tell me that. Yeah. My schedule got changed, and I was supposed. I was working, and I thought, oh my god. We're probably gonna do it on Fridays or Saturdays. We're probably gonna do it on weekends and keep it on a, on a fixed date, okay. which would be so easy for everybody. Because it got changed, I could attend. Because it was today, it was yesterday. No more. For all, for most of us, yeah, Thursday. No yeah, I, I was talking to a uh, an amazing soul, and she told she's in Lebanon. She said, "Hassan, I'm at university. <laughs> I'm in class right now. I don't know if I can, you know, I don't know if I can watch. Uh, you know what? I'll put earphones in, and it's an art class, so." I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll see what I can do. So, um, if um, yeah, but we'll figure it out. We'll make sure that we have a, a proper date and time. This this looks like a good time and place, uh, time, date and place, whatnot. So, okay. Thank you guys for uh, for tuning in. We will see you next time. Adios. Be safe. Ciao. Bye bye.